Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of Otaku Brothers. My name's Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. It's been about a month. It has. And yes. a lot has happened since we last recorded. I, of course, went to Japan. You've put 200 hours into The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. And a very disappointing PlayStation showcase happened. Mm-hmm. And we've got to talk about all of it. But welcome in, everyone. It, again, has been way too long since we've got behind the mics and recorded an episode of this podcast. So... I guess I'll just take a second here and ask you, how the heck are you, Ryan? I'm good. Literally, the last couple weeks since Zelda's come out, that's been my life. Um, it's nice that it's warming up, but that means a totally different atmosphere in this uh, musky room. Yeah, I kind of had forgotten how <laughs> difficult it is to record episodes during the summer yeah. months. Uh, but as you kind of said earlier off recording, heat does rise. It does. And I've prepared. I got my cutoff t-shirt on. I had a banana for breakfast. I got that potassium mm. and I'm ready to run a marathon for this podcast in this hellhole sauna. <laughs> it is hot as Hades in here. No, it's not terrible. It's just when, yeah, I'm ready for this. It should be a good episode. Good stuff. But yeah, as I said, we have a, a lot to get through over the course of this episode. I'm super pumped to talk about all of it. I just got back from Japan about a week ago. Lauren and I, my wife, were there for uh, two weeks, two full weeks. And so we get to break down all of that good stuff. Lots of stories to share. I got to talk about all of the adventures, game shopping. And uh, if you are not aware, you should be if you're listening to this podcast. But I have a YouTube channel. I put a one hour and 15 minute video up uh, not too many days ago talking through everything that I picked up in the video game space. I even kind of put some crane game shopping winnings and crane game sh- uh, or crane game uh, clips yep. from winning all those Kirby's and I even had you on for a segment of that video because I picked up a lot of cool things for you while I was in Japan. Yeah, I got some cool gifts. And you got to kind of unbox those live on camera, which was good stuff. So yeah, please go to YouTube, check that out. I will also be doing a game shopping video that I'm currently editing together uh, across all of the different game shops that Laura and I were visiting. And then about a week or two after that, I'm also in the process of editing a bigger video capturing the entirety of the Japan experience, literally from the morning Laura and I woke up and went to the airport all the way to coming back and being reunited with Scooby. So lots of fun things to share. I'm super pumped about it. And uh, yeah, I think the words probably won't do justice here on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's hard. It's it's a great country. Mm -hmm. How's the uh, jet lag treating you? So on the way there, it was, I would say, a lot worse. When I came back, I was waking up around four o'clock in the morning and I thought I might as well be productive with my time. So I was organizing all the photos and videos here in the game room. I was on the computer, of course. I figured I might as well record a pickups video. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that maybe the second morning uh, since we've been back. And I was waking up between four and six and then going to bed between like seven and nine those first couple of days. Uh, and I didn't feel too bad, but now I feel like around 12, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm hitting a wall. 
and I've been going to bed a little bit earlier the past couple of nights. So it's Once definitely you hit 30. You just two o'clock runs around. You're yeah. ready for your afternoon nap. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it hit me a lot worse while I was there okay. or on the way there than it has on the way back. But yeah, jet lag's real. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, it is from where we are here in the Midwest. It's 13 hours ahead in Japan. So a bit of a difference. Yeah, I was surprised to see you on. So we did the WhatsApp to talk, which was nice. Um, but seeing you on around six o'clock, I was like, okay, they're up early today. Yeah. I guess that would be seven, right? Is it one hour ahead? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's not terrible. But yeah, we'll be getting into all of that and then some, uh, because again, this is Otaka Brothers, Lauren, Lauren and I. Again, it's been a while since we've gotten on the mics. <laughs> hey, I could be Lauren today. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not awake yet, not caffeinated, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Yeah, but um, anyways, Ryan and I typically talk about our weeks, anything that's been going down, any relevant life updates we want to bring to the show. The biggest one this week, I think, will be my trip and experience in Japan. We also talk about the games that we've been playing recently. I think the most hottest release that we need to talk about, of course, The Legend of Zelda, yeah, Tears sure. of the Kingdom the very anticipated sequel to Breath of the Wild. Like I said at the top, Ryan's, I think, knocking on 200 hours door with that game. Yeah, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. I had to restart for stupid reasons. Yeah. And uh, I showed Rusty and he shook his head and rolled his eyes before this. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Pokedex type related stuff. Yeah, so we've got to talk about that. I beat a couple games. I also recently finished Jedi Survivor. The sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So we're going to talk about a bunch of games. And then we're also going to at some point talk through the most recent PlayStation Showcase, which I found to be a bit disappointing, uh, especially when you think about the last PlayStation Showcase, or at least the one where they revealed the PS5. So we'll be talking about that. And then also some predictions for next week, which will be the Xbox Game Showcase with Bethesda, more Starfield stuff, and then, of course, Healy's Summer Games Fest. So a lot of fun stuff to get into. Yeah, for sure. So buckle up, sit down. Hopefully this episode finds you cozy, playing some games, sipping on a coffee, whatever it might be. Uh, Ryan and I have a lot to treat your ears with today. But figure before we get into my stuff, Ryan, any any fun things going down in your life the past couple weeks? Not too much. I mean, it's it's mostly been in my apartment playing Zelda. Yeah. Uh, I did run a 5K the other weekend. Nice, good for you. And... Uh, you want to feel like death run a 5k with a week of preparation uh yeah i got it done i got a medal and i got to eat chinese after so it was, it was a victory all around you can't beat it uh yeah. was that like a what level of trophy was that uh, i mean as far as completion at least a platinum okay but as far as like performance goes a bronze <laughs> okay so this is more of like a, a middle of the road Trophy was, for me, you yeah. Know, not, was, not necessarily a my name is Mayo, but also not like Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, for you, it was probably like click this Mayo jar five hundred times, which isn't like a ten time. It's not a hundred time. Five hundred's a lot of clicks. I mean, mm-hmm. you're tapping you. on the carpal tunnel door at that point. So I, I think it's yeah around there. Probably a Foxy Land. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go that far. Yeah, yeah. It's at least a Mayo. Um. Yeah, so I, I did it in I think forty-one minutes, so mm. average thirteen minutes a mile as far as the first attempt goes. That's I'm I call it success. That's pretty dang so, good, man. Hey, you finished? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's all that matters. Good for you. I, at halfway mark, uh, one of our our friends was there, like handing out water. I was just like, my calves were ready to pop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dude, 
I, I I get shin splints and my I've just I'm not conditioned for like long distances. I'm more of like a sprinter if mm. I'm going to do it at all. And they they were going to explode. And she's like, I could drive you back. And I was like, I have to earn this sesame chicken. I can't like cheat halfway through, but got it done. Uh, besides that, my TV's been broken for a while. Yes, it was. And uh, no people, hold on. Ryan's like going to gloss over this. This man was playing games like Star Wars Jedi Survivor. He started Final Fantasy 15. You probably played a couple other very hot releases, probably Hogwarts Legacy. You were playing some of the cream of the crop of the year on like a 30, 30 inch. Whoa, 35 inch. Yeah, like a 35 inch TV. I did that came beat out. all of Jedi Survivor on that TV. This like CRT TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, <laughs> reel it in. It was at least a tiny flat screen. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. So I was playing Final Fantasy 15 a little bit before the new RPG came out, and I was just I was fed up one night. I'm like, I can't read this text because. I'm blind, apparently, but the text is so tiny in Final Fantasy for it all the is. menus. So I'm like, I, I guess this is my breaking point. The straw <laughs> that broke the camel's back. So I went over to the Best Buy and got a good deal. Yeah. Um, I got, this isn't going to mean a lot to anyone who's not like techie. It's a, I got Sony. It's a Bravia RX, or XR. A80K OLED. One of my favorites. Yes, <laughs> just the best. And uh, so OLED is pretty cool. It's an upgrade from what I was before. I think my other old TV was 50 inches, and this is 55 inches. Heck yeah. And then OLED, basically, it's the new hot technology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the showcase. And when, when the pixels are black, usually they just show, like, they don't actually turn off on like the nor- old TVs. Mm-hmm. These turn off those pixels. Mm-hmm. So it basically voids out. So in like space related shows, like space, the vacuum of space looks dead. Mm-hmm. Like it's awesome. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with it. Um, just playing Zelda on it. Zelda probably looks really, it nice looks on. really nice. And a lot of the game is black, like mm-hmm. dark um, for the underworld stuff. So it, it's been a lot of fun. Sweet. Good stuff, man. I'm glad you got another TV. Yeah, I'm glad you too. Because when you told me that you were going to play Final Fantasy 15 on the TV, I'm like, dude, you you, you just got to upgrade. Th- there's no way. I'm going to buy you a TV. <laughs> well, was, what's nice, so I got a good deal on it. Um, I, I was going to get the TV regardless. When I decided, I'm like, all right, I'm going to pull the trigger. And they're like, hey, the only one we had was returned by someone, and it's an open box. Are you cool with it? I'm like, do I still get a five-year warranty on it if something's wrong? They're like, yeah, we do. And it's $400 off because someone opened the box and returned it two days ago. That's awesome. And they have to return it within like two weeks of buying it. So I'm like, dude, sign me up. $400 off and get like a $100 gift card. And yeah, I'm happy. Sweet. Good stuff. And just in time to play the latest releases like Tears of the Kingdom, but you also have Final Fantasy 16 around the corner. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you got to keep playing 15 before you get 16. I don't know what I'm going to do with Final Fantasy. I'm so like after tears and we'll get into it later, but I put 120 hours into my first playthrough and then restarted. And now I'm going through a second playthrough and I'm like 60 hours in. Mm. And as far as RPGs go, 
I need something probably different after this and take a break before I go into like a 16. And 16 is coming out in like three weeks. Yeah. So it's coming up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I need to freaking get to a Final Fantasy at some point. You I do. start and stop. I've started and stopped like three of them at this point. I know. I'm keeping tally. You know, 10, 7, 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll get there eventually. Maybe 16's the charm. Maybe thirteen. Yeah, dude. Maybe seventeen at this this pace. Yeah. Rick. Uh. Well, good stuff. Yeah. Glad what you about you? Really, just Japan, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um. I think that by the time we last talked, I was mostly just prepping for Japan, kind of getting everything ready for work, getting ready to sign off. And my gosh, dude, I know there's a lot of recency bias involved here, but I think it's pretty fair to say that these were the best two weeks of my life. Hey, I'm happy to hear it. And that's less of a reflection of like everything that's come before. Because I was gonna I, say, besides that, I've had a crappy life. <laughs> like, but some pretty cool things happened in my life yeah. to this point. But Japan was truly like, it, it's going to sound so hokey. And I know a lot of what I'm going to say is probably hyperbolic for people listening on the other ends. But like, it, it was like escaping to another world. It is. And yeah. culturally, Japan is just better in pretty much every conceivable way. What do you think makes it better in every conceivable way? I think, first of all, the patience and respect people have for each other, the mindfulness that people have for other human beings. I mean, I kid you not, Ryan, going to Japan because our country's kind of effed up. There's a lot going on every single day in the news. It's kind of hard not to be a bit depressed about what's going on in current events, Mm -hmm. like politics aside, just the way our country is going. Did you watch the news in Japan? No, I did not. I mean, outside of throwing some stuff up on social media just to kind of capture some of the highlights of the trip. Laura and I were pretty disconnected. And I think that's what was so interesting. Or one of the things that was interesting about being on the other side of the world is that most vacations, Lauren and I, every single day, we're pulling up our phones and looking at pictures of Scooby. What do you think he's doing? Do you think he's okay? Well, you know, you know, like we're always thinking about Scooby, looking at pictures of Scooby. You know, we think about you guys and stuff like that. I don't even think we mentioned Scooby's name for the first week. Which for wow. Lauren and I, and you know how big of a deal that is. Yeah, like the that's, listeners, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, he is the closest thing to a child that Lauren and I have. And mm-hmm. and so we abandoned him in, from our minds for a week. Yeah. To do that Crap. is crazy. That just really goes to show how immersed you were. Immersed we were in the experience. Yeah. Um, but getting back to just culturally how much different it is than here in the States. When you're going to a different country, especially like last year when Lauren and I were in Europe. I was constantly more like mindful and aware of like, where's my wallet? How's Lauren doing? Is she okay? Like we didn't want to get too far from one another because you just have to be safe and mindful when you're in a different country. Yeah. After the first few days in Japan, those worries just completely subsided. And I never really thought about that. I felt so safe in Japan. And there's a couple instances where that became most apparent. The first and probably most striking was when we did a lot of public transportation. We were on trains, we were on the metros, we were on the uh, Shinkansens, which were the like bullet trains, the yeah. ones that like, go 150 plus miles per hour. And we were on this train, we were both sitting down, and this young kid, couldn't have been older than six, seven, eight years old, is walking through the train, opens up this door, walks through, walks right in front of us, and is kind of just like looking around. And I'm like, where, where's this person's parent? Where's their older sibling? Where's their guardian? Mm-hmm. They were nowhere to be seen. It was just this kid by themselves on their way to school. They had a little backpack on, a little uniform, and they were wearing this cute little hat. 
Well, come to find out all of the kids in Japan wear these multicolored hats that are indicative of their age group. Mm-hmm. And it's also symbolic of if this child is lost or can't find their way, the culture is meant to help them get to their destination. Yep. And I just had this like moment of what in the world? <laughs> like I, if I had a child, I probably wouldn't let them walk down the street alone, let alone get on a train in the, I think biggest city in the world in Tokyo. Like it it was so mind boggling to think about uh, or or to see things like that. Um, And just as a parent to trust that your child's going to be okay, but also the independence it builds in the child growing up. Yeah. Like they have to understand hell of a confidence builder. If you're hopping on those trains, I mean, they're how efficient that train system is, but to like be able to like, pick out what you, where you're going to make sure you get off at the right stop. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. That kind of stuff was wild. And then like police officers there, the most they have is a baton. And then I, we, we touched Eek. down, we, <laughs> we touched down in Texas and there was literally a police officer there with an assault rifle. Yeah. And the Eagles flew in and we just, yeah, it was just another world man in that respect for sure. Um, but yeah. some of the other things that I guess were kind of like just surprising, um, anywhere we walked when people were wearing backpacks, more often than not, they flipped the backpacks to be on their belly instead of their back. That's interesting. And I was like, is that, do you think they're doing that because they don't want someone to like pickpocket the back of their po- uh, their backpack? Because again, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. They're getting mugged. <laughs> and Lauren was like, no, they do that to be conscious of the space they're taking up on public trains. Mm. And I thought that is ridiculous because... Americans would never do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> they would put it in a seat next to them and watch someone stand. Well, that was another thing. Like yeah. it's also just culturally known that on trains, one, you don't talk, which there were a couple of Americans just talking and having no regard for like the social norms there because yeah. it's, it's known amongst the culture that you don't speak on trains. You just don't. And a lot of Americans were, which was annoying, but, um, it's it's also like when older the elderly or women get on the trains like men are supposed to stand up and the women are you know can so they can sit down yeah. or the elderly also so they're not standing it's just a sign of respect exactly um which was super cool a couple other just random fun things were oftentimes when Laura and I went to the more touristy type locations a lot of times these kids were on field trips to go and experience these things and to learn about um, the different shrines or to go to Nara Park or all of these different areas that Lauren ever like Osaka Castle. And oftentimes they would stare at Lauren and I and recognize that like we're we're foreign. Yeah, foreign. We're we're tourists. And a couple different times one of the kids would say, Hello. And I'd be like, Hi. And then like all of them would just be like, Hello. Like, you know, <laughs> because they were like practicing their English and it yeah. was just so cool to see. And they were like super excited to be able to to say hi you know mm-hmm. and say hello uh in english and then as lauren and i started walking away they'd be like goodbye goodbye <laughs> you know it was just you know simple things like that that were so cool um and even you know at the airport when i mean i've been in a number of airports around the states and i, I feel like people that work at airports it's just an excuse to yell at people mm-hmm. you know take your shoes off put your shoes back on like take your iPads out. If you have anything above, you know, or bigger than an elect, uh, you know, a laptop, it needs to be out of your bag type of thing. There was no yelling in the Japanese airports. And when we got up to the kiosk to basically check our bags on our way back, all of them, I think they opened at like six o'clock in the morning. 
And everyone that was working there like came forward, had like a ceremonial bow and clapped. And then they went back to their stations and then like motioned everyone forward at exactly six o'clock in the morning to begin, you know, processing everyone's bags. Wow. I was like, man, that's, <laughs> that's an efficient system. That's so different. <laughs> yeah. But it's stuff like that. That was just so cool, man. I mean, there was another time where we were at this restaurant and Lauren and I knew we were in the best places from a, a food side of things when we were the only like non-Japanese people there. Like there were no tourists and typically the food was excellent. We got incredible portions and it was super cheap. And there was this one day where I think we were in Shinjuku and we went to this restaurant and I know I'm all over the place, but what's also interesting about Japan is everything is so vertical there. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you'll go into these electronic stores or even restaurants where they'll be two or three stories high and the electronic stores sometimes are nine stories and they have all kinds of random stuff that you can buy. But this restaurant that we went to, we got escorted to the second floor and we sat right in the middle of this restaurant and it was so loud because everyone was just having conversation. Not a single person was on their phone. Everyone was just in the moment, talking with their friends, talking with their family, talking with their coworkers, whoever it was that they were with. And of course, Lauren being more soft-spoken, we were like basically screaming at each other, <laughs> you know, talking over the course of our meal, um, ordering food and stuff like that. And oftentimes you don't order, at least a lot of the restaurants that we were going to, you don't order from like an actual server. You have like these little iPad devices that you'll oftentimes like, okay, I want um, an appetizer and two drinks and then they'll bring it out to you and then... You order more over the course of the night, uh, which is kind of cool because it obviously not speaking like a lick of Japanese. We didn't really have to worry about that because a lot of these iPads had an English translation within yeah. the device. So it made ordering food relatively easy. But anyway, so we're there for like an hour or so. And this group of guys that are in the back of the restaurant clearly all work together. They all stand up when they're getting ready to leave. They do a ceremonial bow, clap. They say something in Japanese and then they all leave, which was just cool. And one of the guys kept like making eye contact with me. And eventually when they're getting ready to leave, he comes up to me and he says, do you speak Japanese in Japanese? And I looked at Lauren like, what, what did he say? And Lauren recognized the phrasing. She's like, he asked you if you spoke Japanese. I was like, no, no Japanese, only English. And so without skipping a beat, he says, where do you live? And I said, the United States. And he's like, oh, California. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, not California. I was like, Ohio. And he's like, oh, California. I was like, like, yeah, sure. So we just like laughed and we just communicated through laughter for about 30 seconds. And eventually, you know, he was clearly getting ready to leave. And I said, photo? And he's like, yeah. And so I stood up and the photo that I posted on social media of me and that Japanese man was that guy. For some reason, I was thinking it was Lauren's ex-co-worker's husband. It was just a random guy. Random guy. I never. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I never even knew his name. But for me, it was one of the most defining moments of the trip where, you know, I think if there's anything that I could point to of just like how that trip was for Lauren and I, that was one of those moments where we just embraced it and it was random happenstance. This person came up to us. We couldn't really communicate. We communicated through laughter. We snapped a photo and I'll never know that guy's name, but man, I don't know if I've ever smiled so big than I did in that moment. Yeah, I had, I had something similar happen in Tokyo. It was just some random girls came up and like wanted a picture because they probably hadn't seen like 
a foreigner before. A bearded man as handsome as you. Yeah, exactly. In some plaid. And uh, yeah, it, it's a really, it's such a great culture. Mm-hmm. It, it's just focused around respect and the family. And it, it, it permeates into every aspect. Mm-hmm. And then you got the cool games, which are also awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that was one of the more unique things to going to restaurants and just observing how people interacted with one another. And I mean, it really forced me because I had a coworker ask like, well, did you experience anything in Japan that you wanted to bring back with you? Not like souvenirs, but just culturally. Mm -hmm. And I think for Lorne and I, it was just the idea of slowing down Mm -hmm. both in our lives, but also meals are just so important to people over there because I mean, they, the Japanese do work incredibly hard, long hours, but when they go out after work or they go out with friends, they're just so intentionally in the moment with those people. And so for Lauren and I, it was just kind of this, this moment where when we go back home, we need to do less of the, you know, eating on the fly. I, you know, the busyness of life, not sitting down and intentionally having a conversation at the dinner table of like, how was your day? And just talking. Yeah. And that sounds Kind of ridiculous, but that was one of the biggest takeaways from the trip for us. I, I don't think that sounds ridiculous at all. I I know mom when we were growing up, I, I, dad worked and she made a huge priority in trying to have a family meal for mm-hmm. dinner. So like getting us all to sit down, phones weren't a thing at that point, but like just that interaction at the end of the day, so like, how's your day going? Like, how was school? Tell us that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I think it was a really, it, it was good. I really good to have that at the end of the day. You yeah. know, you're working or you're working hard, but at the end of the day, you can sit down with people you love. Yeah, for sure. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, but I mean, I have a laundry list of things that I could talk about. A lot of it, again, I'm all over the place. I remember earlier in the week, a coworker also asked me, uh, well, how was it? And I said, well, it was like <laughs> probably the best two weeks of my life. And they said, tell me more. And it's so, so broad. And I, yeah, I was like, I just feel like I need time to process that I was even there. Okay. So I'll reel you in then. Yeah. I, okay. So I have a list of favorites. Okay. That I think the listeners might want to hear. Sure. So let's go, I'll go down the list. Favorite movie that was played on the plane? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I watched like 10 of them, I'm sure. Yeah. Like four to five movies on the way there, four to five on the way back. I watched Rocket Man. Okay. The. The biopic with Elton John played by Taron Edgerton, that was really good. I didn't recognize how traumatic a life Elton had. Um, He really went through the ringer quite a bit with some stuff, but Elton John's music is just incredible. And so how that was scattered throughout the movie and how you saw a lot of his songs come to life. And I also didn't know that Elton never wrote any of his own songs. He had this guy named Barry, who's a very good friend of his growing up that over the course of his entire career wrote the majority of his music so that was really cool i mean you just learn a lot about his his him as a musician but also as a person very so that, similar to like the queen a little bit yeah Bohemian um, Rhapsody. for yeah. sure freddie mercury's story so that was really good on the way there on the way back i also watched a movie called concussion which was the one where will smith plays this nigerian doctor who oh yeah discovered cte in professional football players. And I didn't know that it was, he first discovered it in a Pittsburgh Steeler center. Wow. And there were a few Steelers after that, that also succumbed to CTE. And it eventually like in the, I think 2009, 2010, the league had to officially embrace 
that this was a real thing and there were severe consequences to playing the game of football because early on the NFL was trying to cover it up and cover up his case studies and everything like that. Um, so that was really interesting on the way back. Watched a lot of other ones, but I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. Did uh, Favorite snack on the plane? Did you get food on the plane by chance? We did. On the way there, we got, I would say, traditional American dishes like, I don't know, spaghetti and meatballs types. Of, I mean, that's not Wings and hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, basically. <Pizza. laughs> like chicken and a side. Yeah. And um, on the way f- from, like, from Japan back home, we did get like rice and like a teriyaki chicken type of thing. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite meal, but okay. I just like that. It's very different. I like (laughs) on the way from, from Houston to Japan, I was eating with a fork and knife and from Tokyo to Houston, (laughs) I was eating with chopsticks. You've assimilated. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. So favorite city you went to? Definitely Utsunomiya. So when Lauren was still working where you work now, we had an opportunity to move to Japan for like two to three years and Utsunomiya would have been where we lived. And back then, you know, hindsight's 2020, we thought I could never be away from our family for two to three years. But what Lauren and I really struggled with while we were there and in the city of Utsunomiya, just how quiet it was. I mean, you could hear a pin drop on the other side of the city. Uh, It's just a very traditional town. Not a whole lot going on. Not a lot of noise. I mean, the best game shop that I went to, it was a book off about 30 minutes from the train station in Utsunomiya. And Lauren and I were just walking through residential neighborhoods. And over the course of that 30 minute walk, we saw a man, like an older man tending to his garden. We saw a bunch of kids playing baseball in a park. We just saw a lot of really neat things that just felt like so such a contrast to what we were seeing in Tokyo and in Shinjuku and those cities that people you see on social media, like this is where you got to go. This this is the heart of Japan. But for me, it was getting outside of that noise and really seeing the quiet countryside city, like quiet city side of Japan. That to me was be- like the best part of yeah. my experience. Really, the only thing that's loud in Utsunomiya is the train station. Yeah. And then you, the further you get away, I mean, even just a block or two away from the train station, it's silent, mm-hmm. which is nice. And like speaking of one of the places you feel safe, Utsunomiya is definitely one of those places for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I think that was our favorite city. And, you know, Lauren and I were just, th- I think we're where we're meant to be now, especially everything that's happened since, since Lauren had that opportunity to move. But we definitely played a lot of what if scenarios oh, if we had, sure. if we had moved yeah. over there. Uh, Cause I think it really would have been grounding for us mm-hmm. and our marriage and just what that would have looked like. So it was cool. Very nice. Yeah. What was your favorite food or meal that you had over there? I know you said a lot of ramen pictures. They all looked great. Yeah, considering we (laughs) ate ramen just about every single day, it's tough not to point to that. But I think takoyaki was a really interesting dish where the best place to eat takoyaki is just from the street vendors. They're kind of like these little dough balls that have squid inside of them. And so text like the most appetizing of the dish. surprisingly delicious i mean if you have a texture issue with when you're eating food it might be a little off-putting um but if you kind of prepare yourself for knowing that you're eating like basically squid balls Mm -hmm. um man they were so good they were so good and then okonomiyaki is another one it's a traditional japanese dish kind of like a pancake 
where they bake in uh, a lot of cabbage, a couple like meats, depending on what you want on it. And they cook it right in front of you. So I posted a couple pictures uh, of when Laura and I were at this restaurant, but they cook this pancake dish right in front of you. And eventually they flip over a couple times and they spread this Japanese barbecue sauce and this Japanese mayo on it. And then when you kind of slice into it, you can see like the shrimp and the squid and the pork and the cabbage and everything that you have in it. And it just, it's so delicious. Yeah. It looked really good. So yeah. Takoyaki and okonomiyaki, not to mention the ramen. Ramen for days. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Good choices. Sticking on the food train, what was your favorite snack? And that's like vending machine food or stuff that you got a 7-Eleven that isn't a 7-Eleven, but... Yeah, so a couple different things that I guess I'll mention. One, the convenience stores in Japan are amazing. Whether it's... There's really three that you'll probably see most frequently. 7-Eleven, of course. Okay. Family Mart and this place called Lawson's. There was a Lawson's right next to our hotel in Osaka. So every single morning we would go there and get these little things called Boss Coffee boss was the brand and they were no bigger than like a little five hour energy but they had just enough coffee to give you nice little boost and then we also got these little belgium waffles they were in a little plastic baggie they were no bigger than your fist but but they also just had this subtle sweetness to them that Mm. you didn't pour maple syrup on them they just kind of had this maple syrupy taste already kind of infused into this little waffle. That's cool. It was, it was just a dry waffle. Kind of like the uh, McGriddle, the, where it has like the little beads of syrup in it. Yeah. Cooked in. A little bit Except like, way better than McDonald's, <laughs> the stuff you ate, I'm sure. Probably better for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, those little waffles were really good. And then we also at 7-Elevens got these little circular rice balls that had, um, it was kind of like teriyaki rice, a little bit of chicken and a little bit of shrimp and the sticky rice kind of kept it all together. Cool. And it was all encased in a uh, little seaweed roll. Mm. And what's so nice about Japan is so many of these different things that you get at convenience stores are just filling enough to kind of get you to start your day. And then in a couple hours, you know, you'll eat lunch and yeah. stuff like that. But just a perfect little pick me up. Were you ever afraid of food poisoning going to like those like off the path? When we went there, I was, but I mean, this is kind of a miracle knowing the past couple of times I traveled. (laughs) We went to Ireland last year and the historic video that I sent to our good friend Blink when I was like, my eyes were all gone to shit. (laughs) I was, you know, congested to hell. You're like, Lauren's keeping a far distance away from me. (laughs) I was there for like basically 72 hours and I basically came back with like the kiss of death. And I was in Japan for two weeks and Lauren, I never got sick, never got food poisoning, none of it. Um, And so was I afraid of food poisoning? Probably when we went to this conveyor belt sushi place and I saw the same sushi continuing (laughs) to rotate. No one was taking it off the conveyor belt. So thankfully at those types of places, you can also order specific things and just say, Hey, I don't want to take anything off the conveyor belt. I want this specific sushi and they'll put it together really quick and put it on your, uh, put it on your plate. Um, but there was, there was stuff rotating that looked a little questionable. Yeah. And Lauren and I eventually came to found out, find out that it was raw horse meat and nice. raw whale meat. And those were the types of things that I'm like, I'm going to leave this for <laughs> yeah. someone else. I'm going to keep the farm animals far away. From I'm going to leave this for someone else. I, I don't think I'd try whale. I've eaten horse, but mm-hmm. they, ugh. 
Yeah. So good choices. Um, what was your favorite pickup from the trip? Yeah. So maybe a brief little discussion around just the gaming stuff in general. So our first night, I never said this at the top because I was just really scatterbrained. Lauren and I spent our first night in Akihabara uh, in Tokyo and that was just overwhelming in the best of ways because the nightlife was super lively. There was bands going through the streets, people everywhere, a little overstimulating because we were traveling for like over 20 hours, but just super cool to kind of just completely be immersed into that experience Uh, and kind of the gaming culture. You're walking through the crane game places for the first time. We went into a book off for the first time and I just see walls upon walls of games and manga and strategy guides and art books and video game figures and weeb dolls and all (laughs) kinds of stuff like that. And uh, so that was just so fun to just kind of take in. And those first couple of nights and days seeing those types of shops, I tried not to buy things right away because one, I wasn't sure if I was going to find better deals later on, but we also were traveling to Osaka and Kyoto for the second week. And Lauren and I didn't want to lug around, lug around a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So a couple strats for anyone traveling to Japan in the future. You do what you will in terms of how much you buy. But Lauren and I did not check any bags on the way there. We had two moderately small suitcases on, on the way there uh, and two backpacks. The suitcases, of course, had all of our clothes and then just like some vitamin C boost and granola bars and stuff like that. But we also brought a giant gym bag within one of the suitcases yeah so on the way back we we packed all of our suitcases with the souvenirs games plushies that we bought and then we just threw all of our clothes in that gym bag that we actually checked on the plane Mm, okay so that's a good strategy if you want to have plenty of room for souvenirs uh if you and you know a friend or significant other are going to japan pack all your clothes on the way there throw a giant duffel bag or gym bag in one of those suitcases and then just check your clothes back in that on the way back. Um, so that's what we did. Um, but yeah, that first week in Osaka, Kyoto, I really tried to be mindful of buying stuff because we didn't want to lug stuff around. But the second week in Tokyo, you know, Akihabara, super potato, hard off the book offs of the world. People just dream about going to some of those places, but when I went to Super Potato and I was seeing a cart-only copy of Super Mario World on the Super Famicom go for 30, 40, 50 bucks, I was like, this, this can't be what people dream about going to yeah. and buying. And so I told Lauren, hey, what if we go back to Utsunomiya? Because Saturday we were in Utsunomiya as kind of like a between cities type of of trip yeah because lauren had some co-workers that she wanted to to eat dinner with and catch up with which we did and that day we went to that book off that was 30 minutes from the station and i really didn't buy much because i thought well we're gonna go to tokyo and buy a ton of stuff but in that utsunomiya store that's where i saw all those dragon ball z figures for less than ten dollars yeah i saw a bunch of super famicom box stuff for less than ten dollars and i thought Maybe we'll find better deals in Akihabara, which was a mistake. Yeah. So you want to spend a fortune. (laughs) So we go to Akihabara and I'm like seeing all of these. I saw a boxed copy of Dragon Quest one on the Famicom for over a hundred dollars. And I'm like, Lauren, I know this is a lot to ask. And God bless Lauren because she was so patient with me when it came to the game stuff. I said, 
would you mind if we get on a train today, spend an hour to go back to Utsunomiya, walk the half hour back to that book off and just clean up? And she said, yeah, let's do it. So I was like, really? She's like, yeah, Rusty, the second week is meant to be for the game shopping stuff. Like, let's go. Let's do it. Let's find the good deals. Lauren's I'm all sh- right. I'm sh- yeah. <laughs> I think she's a keeper. Yeah. Uh, she's like, I'm sure as hell not going to pay $100. For this. <laughs> she's like, she's just seeing money flying out the window. She's like, all right, I will go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So we went back to uh, the book off in Utsunomiya, and that's where I cleaned up and got a lot of the stuff. And so favorite pickup. I don't know if I can point to like one game. I think one memorable one was the giant Yoshi Mm. uh, plush that I found. Uh, That was super cool. And then when Lorna and I were in a different book off in Utsunomiya, we found a couple different soundtracks that were super memorable, uh, like the Theatrhythm box set, five CDs uh, from the Theatrhythm Final Fantasy rhythm game. That was super cool. I got that for about 25 bucks. Uh, got the Studio Ghibli kind of collection of songs CD for less than 10 bucks. Those are a couple favorites. But I, I talked about this in my pickups video. Uh, was when that first night in Akihabara, Lauren and I were in this random electronics store and this J-pop music was playing. Yeah. And it was this song that just kept playing on loop and it just got catchier and catchier every time I listened to it. And the music video was playing on this small screen in the back corner. And it was this song called Monster Girls. It is catchy. And <laughs> it's very catchy. These women were dancing and they were playing in front of thousands of people with all these glow sticks. Like it looked like a total rave. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like I, you know, did the whole Sham Wow or Shazam, whatever, to figure out what the song name was. Sham Wow, Shazam. <laughs> Billy Mays. Yeah. <laughs> and figured out it was uh, it, it was this song called Monster Girls. And so later on in that book off, Lauren, I saw a physical CD of Monster Girls. And we, of course, had to pick it up. Okay. So that's Monster probably, Girls. probably a memorable one as well. Um, but last thing I'll say about the game shopping stuff. I mean, I've kind of alluded to it with Akihabara prices being insane. Do not be afraid if you ever travel to Japan to use the transit system, the trains, the Shinkansen's, because... Very rarely were were Lorne and I seeing non-Japanese people on the trains and very rarely, if ever, was I seeing non-Japanese people in these book-offs in cities like Utsunomiya and Ueno and other random cities. Like, no one's going to those places to buy games. And that's where you're going to find an amazing suite of box stuff, great variety of games for next to nothing. So if you go to Japan... You're going to more than make up for your cost by getting the rail pass, getting a Suica card, and just getting on a train and going an hour any direction from Tokyo and cleaning up on game stores. Yeah, because you got to think it's all the locals who are so used to those prices outside of the touristy places in Tokyo. Exactly. And I saw some very, very sad fools succumb. <laughs> I mean, there were people in, in a super potato like, look, honey, it's Super Mario. And they were just putting all of these Super Mario games in their bins, like $25, $60, You're $80. Like, I got that for less than a dollar. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, no, go watch his YouTube video because the prices are insane. Yeah. it's All right, so what was your favorite store in the same line of thinking? It was that book off. I mean, it, it was, I mean, book off in general is kind of like a half price books of what you'd expect to see here in the States. Lots of books, CDs, Blu-rays, video games, figures, 
but the prices are much better in book <laughs> off than they are yes. here in the States in half price books. Very so. nice. Um, you kind of went over it already. What was your favorite interaction with the culture? Definitely the, the guy I saw in that restaurant. And then also just the number of times that Lauren and I were walking in very tourist heavy locations and the kids that were on field trips would say hi to us. That was just so fun. Yeah. It was so fun. That's a good one. Uh, what was the most unexpected thing that happened when you were over there? Wow. The most unexpected. That's also a great question. I think it was probably the second week when we were in Shinjuku. We stayed at the Godzilla Hotel. <laughs> and that was just a culture shock because of how hard people were partying. And so the day we got up, I think it would have been Saturday morning in Japan. We woke up around four o'clock because we had to get, we had to make a five fifteen train. We finished packing up all of our stuff. We walked downstairs. We're walking down the streets to get to the train station and people are still out on the streets, partying, drinking, hanging out, just getting blitzed out of their minds. Yeah. And beyond that, people were literally passed out in the middle of the street. Because it wasn't like a, a an area where cars were driving. Yeah. So, I mean, people were literally just asleep in the middle of the street. And no one was, like, forcing them to get up. Like, the police weren't, like, walking around saying, like, hey. I mean, there were police officers walking around to kind of monitor to make sure things weren't getting too out of hands. But, I mean, they were just walking right past people. Just As far as places to, like, as, like cities to pass out in, that's probably the one you'd want to for how safe it is. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get shanked or, like, mugged. When you're taking a nap on the pavement. Yeah. I mean, this guy had a handbag, was in a, a full suit, and he yeah. was literally just asleep, just a board, <sighs> laid out, <laughs> looking up at the sky, yeah. mouth open, sleeping. Hey, I mean, the world is your bed. Hey, went in Japan. It's your oyster. You went know? in Tokyo. <laughs> went in Tokyo. But yeah, that was pretty surprising. Yeah. So the next night, we were asleep on the pavement. <laughs> yeah. No, we never went that hard. Yeah. But yeah, some people certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, okay, getting into kind of Tears of the Kingdom product marketing type stuff. What was the coolest product marketing mm. that you saw? I think it was just how there was just so much Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and even Final Fantasy 16 billboards, standees, and various electronic stores. Nothing extravagant, but when we were in 7-Eleven, it's very popular to get various fried dishes in yeah. convenience stores like that. And they had like these fried little chicken nuggets and there was a little chicken nugget container in a 7-Eleven that had the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom imprinted on it. I'm uh, just thinking of like a KFC bucket with like Zelda basically, on it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Very nice. Yeah. And then what was the strangest place you saw marketing? Mm, what do you mean? Like... KFC chicken or with Link on it. Oh. What was the strangest place that you saw pet like Pokemon on the things that you brought? Yeah, down? there's probably a better example than this because I'm sure we went into cosmetic stores a couple times because we wanted to get like face masks and stuff like that. I'm sure there's a better example than this, but this is a terrible example, but I can't really think of anything from like the cosmetic stores that we were, were going into. But One Piece was everywhere over there. Yeah. Heavily marketed on pretty much everything. And at McDonald's, there was a bunch of chicken sandwiches that were kind of modeled after or had, uh, what's his name? Luffy. 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 Yeah. Uh, he was on some of the packaging there. 
Okay. So I guess that's probably a, a poor example. <laughs> but, yeah. Hey, if I'm sure not on the spot, you could think of a 10 more. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then I that was my last one. But I guess out of Tokyo, I don't know how many different parts of Tokyo you went to. Which one would you recommend the most if someone were to go over there? Because you got the big like Shibuya crossings. You got like the touristy stuff. Is there one that really stood out? Because I know Utsunomiya would probably be your favorite outside of. Yeah, I think. Inside of Tokyo. Everyone has different tastes, right? This yeah. is the world according to Rusty and what I wanted to experience most. I hey, went that's over- why they're here. They're, they're the world according to Rusty. Yeah, I, I went to Japan with a very, very small mind thinking that it was just going to be all about the games, the Tokyo, the Akihabara. Like I was going to spend, I mean, Lauren and I literally carved out an entire week to game shop in Tokyo. And I thought that was going to be the highlight of the trip once in a lifetime opportunity. And I walked away from the Japan experience where I wish we only had two days in Tokyo because I feel like you can see most of it in two days. Mm -hmm. The other thing I didn't mention, Lauren and I were walking on average 20,000 steps a day, like eight to 12 miles a day over the course of two weeks. I don't even want to know how many miles we walked in total. Yeah. And so you can fit a lot in a day. And so I, if, if I could do it over again, Lauren and I would have spent more time in Osaka, more time in Kyoto, more time in Utsunomiya, because one, if I did want to do game shopping, I would have found much better deals there. And I also feel like there's so much more of the culture that we didn't get to experience yeah. in those cities than Tokyo. It's just loud. It's super colorful. Lots of like flickering and flashing lights. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like the New York city of Japan Yeah, in, in many respects. So I think if you have to prioritize seeing certain things from the things that I saw, I think Shibuya crossing is certainly one you'll want to see because mm-hmm. it's just so cool yeah. to see so many people walking across that street at the same time. Uh, you also have the Hachiko dog shrine there, which is a cool little monument um, about this dog who was super loyal to his owner. He was constantly going back to the train station every day after this man would return from work. And then one got one day this man passed away either on the job or on the way to work. So Hachiko was waiting in the train station for his owner to return and his owner never did return. And so unfortunately this dog was kind of abused by a lot of the people walking through the train station. But once people understood that it was him waiting for his owner to come back and they understood the loyalty this dog had for his owner. They ended up putting a shrine, basically memorializing this dog. And cool. Hachiko now is a super popular tourist spot. And it's right in front of Shibuya Crossing. So like stuff like that's yeah. really cool. Tokyo Sky Tree, I'd really recommend people go and see. There's there's a difference between Tokyo Tower, which is a mini Eiffel Tower, mm-hmm. and then there's Tokyo Sky Tree. Two different things. I never saw the tower. I would recommend people go to see the sky tree because within that place, you have the Kirby cafe, you have the Pokemon center, you have an awesome Ghibli store uh, where you can buy a bunch of merchandise from the Ghibli movies. So those types of things I'd recommend going to, but when it comes to game shopping, yes, go to Akihabara, go to a super potato just because of the novelty of it. But I wouldn't, build your entire Japan trip and experience around that because there's just so much more things to see in Japan and there's better deals to be had outside of just Tokyo. (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. If that makes sense. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, incredible experience. I would, I don't think it's a matter of if I go back, it's when, obviously it's super, super expensive and pricey to go over there. Uh, but once you are there, food and just about everything else is pretty dang cheap. Yeah. Those ramens you were saying were like seven bucks for like a huge bowl. Yeah, I mean, the, the portions of ramen Laura and I were getting over there were basically double. You can get anywhere near here for us. and Half the price. Half the price. More than that. It was wild. Yeah. So. Cool. So, yeah, that Sounds was. like a fun trip. That was Japan, man. It was an incredible experience. So good. But beyond that, Ryan, I set my alarm one of the days when I was in Japan for about 3.30 in the morning Japan time. So that I could watch the PlayStation Showcase. I was surprised to see you in the Discord that early. Yeah, well, coming away from the Showcase, I was a little disappointed in myself for waking up that early to watch it. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts at the top? For those that don't know, I guess, last week, PlayStation had a Showcase. Typically, when they do these, PlayStation has two things that they typically do. They have State of Plays, which are normally focused around a particular game. They did one for Horizon Forbidden West, where... They'll show like 20 minutes of, of gameplay. Some of the directors will talk about what you can expect from the game, the game mechanics, things like that. And then maybe they'll do like 10 minutes of indies or some other games that we've already known about. Yeah. And then they have the showcases, which are, as the name would imply, meant to kind of showcase the catalog of games that we can expect over the next six months to year plus out. And rumors going around the industry were that especially since this was bumping up against the Xbox showcase a, a few weeks after and summer games fest, that this was going to be PlayStation PlayStation coming to the table to show what this next leg of the PlayStation five journey was going to be, what we could expect from Spider-Man two and probably the next year, two or three out, yep. maybe Wolverine, maybe final fantasy seven rebirth remake part two, uh, maybe a metal gear solid remake. Maybe we're going to see what blue points doing. Maybe we'll get a tease of Ghost of Tsushima 2. All these different things were kind of rumored or, or talked about or suspected based on what the, we were going into this conference thinking it would be, showcasing that next leg of the PlayStation 5's journey. Yeah. And uh, we didn't get a lot of that. No, we got the, I mean, the big one that I was looking for is Spider-Man and mm -hmm. a release date for that. We got Spider-Man gameplay, a shit ton of it, but we didn't get a release date yet. Still mm -hmm. fall of 23, which is good. Besides that, I think the tweet that Xbox put out after that basically has all the games from that showcase and said coming to Xbox pretty much sums up yeah. this. Um, I mean, there were some stickout ones like Sword and Sword of the Sea, mm, mm -hmm. Tony Hawk Journey. Yeah. Um, besides that, I mean, not much to write home about, at least for... I mean, it could be for other people, but at least for how, the games that I play, mm -hmm. I didn't see much that would really pique my interest. One of the things that's most disappointing for PlayStation fans like ourselves and a lot of people listening to this podcast is we've kind of come to expect the heavy uh, first-party AAA experiences from Sony at this point, like Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us, God of War, Horizon, and because they've kind of checked each of those boxes to this point in this new generation— we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what's next after Spider-Man 2? Not unlike Nintendo at this point of like, okay, we got Tears of the Kingdom, the game of the generation, but like, what's what's next? Like, we we have no idea what's coming out on Nintendo for the, for the Switch. And it, yeah, I think it could be, I mean, they set the bar so high with some of their past showcases. I mean, they're constantly showing us gameplay at these type of events and 
yeah, like you said, releasing or showing us big titles. Um, and it could be to their detriment when they have a smaller kind of heads up type show like this one um, kind of lets the fans down. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they put out this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of Coming out of this, I'm excited for Spider-Man. But besides that, yeah, a letdown for sure. Well, a little bit disappointing, but I think it's helpful to kind of put things into perspective of what's come before. And so I pulled a list of games that were shown in the PlayStation Showcase in 2020 when the PlayStation 5 was... You all right over there? (laughs) Sorry. I'm aggressively beating up this table with my water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I think it's helpful to kind of have some perspective of the PlayStation Showcase from 2020 when they revealed the PlayStation 5 for the first time, the console design. So if you can believe it, these were all of the games shown in one singular showcase. I understand that this was partially to hype up the PlayStation 5 uh, and get people to pre-order the system and all that stuff, but I also think we're three years deep into this console and not knowing what's around the corner outside of a lot of this third-party stuff is a little disappointing when you see all of the games that were revealed here. Yeah. So... this is part of the list. We got Miles Morales, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Gran Turismo 7, Sackboy A Big Adventure, Ghostwire Tokyo, Project Athia, which ended up being Forspoken, okay. Kana Bridge of Spirits, Stray, Astro's Playroom, Bug Snacks, Resident Evil Village, Returnal, Demon Souls Remake, Deathloop, and Horizon Forbidden West, and then they close the conference with the PlayStation 5 reveal with that super sexy design of all those little beads coming together to form this. Like, that is the showcase of a lifetime. I understand we can't always have that because these AAA games take, like, eight years to develop, but, like, holy moly. That was Games Fest, not a showcase? That was a PlayStation showcase. Oh, okay. Which is what we just got a week ago, and by comparison... I mean, last week could have been a state of play and I never would have known the difference Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what it felt like. So in the hierarchy of the PlayStation type events, what's the least to the most? Showcase is supposed to be their biggest. It is. And then state of play is like, yo, hey, this game is coming out kind of thing. Just really tiny. And then sometimes they'll do like a PlayStation Indies thing for like 20 minutes or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then I mean, then this is even a bigger letdown. If this is supposed to be their big thing, I think it's, I don't know if it's fair to compare to 2020 when they're launching, like saying, Hey, this is a start of a generation for sure. 21 would probably be a better comparison. Um, I can't think of what would be coming out in 21, but I think they probably showed a lot more gameplay for a lot of the games that I just listed. I think that's when they also may have dropped the God of War Ragnarok reveal and said that was coming at the end of 2021 or something. And that was probably a Spider-Man 2 type reveal as well. The tease, yeah, for sure. With Venom. Yeah. Well, because in in that one, not only did I think we get the God of War Ragnarok uh, tease, we also got Spider-Man 2. And then right after Spider-Man 2, we got the Wolverine tease from Insomniac. Mm, Yeah. So some real heavy hitters. I mean, I don't think I was surprised about anything from this one, partially because... I think the big surprise, even though it's going to be multi-platform, was the Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater remake. Yeah. And because that was leaked a couple days early, then that wasn't even a big reveal. But I also feel like they started out really slow. There were a couple of games that I can't even really remember what what kind of kicked off the showcase. And then in the middle, they probably had Metal Gear Solid 3 remake and a couple other smaller games. And then they ended with Spider-Man 2. 
And when they showed Spider-Man 2, I was like, okay, one more thing, right? We're going to get a Wolverine gameplay yeah. sequence. Or was, There weren't, like, a bi- there wasn't a big reveal. Yeah. I mean, maybe Metal Gear, Gear for someone. But, like, end of the showcase type, like, holy shit, Elden Ring's coming out. Like, that type of reveal. I mean, I fully anticipated them to open up with Spider-Man 2 because that's what everyone knew was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of that thing, you, you'd have... Some of these other things like Alan Wake 2, maybe the Metal Gear Solid 3 remake, Dragon's Dogma 2 looks sick. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I'm pumped about that. But so many of these games really felt at home in Keeley's Summer Games Fest. Like for him to get dibs on stuff like Alan Wake 2, Dragon's Dogma 2, even Sword of the Sea, Phantom Blade Zero, all of that to me seems very at home in Keeley's Summer Games Fest. Not necessarily the PlayStation Showcase where I'm, I was totally anticipating us to get a tease for the next Astro game. Even if it was VR2 exclusive, we would have gotten something there. Blue Point, we don't know what they're ma- they're working on right now. The last game they did with De- was Demon Souls Remake. Apparently, they're not doing a remake. They're doing a new IP, which is exciting. We have yeah. no idea what it is. Last of Us Factions, the Last of Us multiplayer game wasn't there. That's also a big surprise. And then shortly after the showcase, we find out that Bungie who Sony acquired not too long ago is also working on some kind of PVP game, which was showcased as part of this um, conference that we watched. They sat down with the team building out last of us factions and said, yo, this game has problems. We need some serious work. We need to go back to the drawing board with this. So that's probably way far out. So Mm -hmm. very disappointing on the PlayStation side of things barring all the third-party stuff that looked great. I mean, Sword of the Sea has the potential to be one of my favorite games of the year when it eventually releases. I love Giant Squid, big The Pathless fan. All you people sleeping on The Pathless, please, please play that game. It's it's it's, it's a really, really good time. Um, so that kind of stuff I'm excited about, but I was just going into this with maybe expectations a little bit higher than they should have been. Yeah. But I think even going into this with moderate expectations, I was disappointed. Yeah, I think that's fair. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. And certainly if PlayStation, once Spider-Man 2 releases, maybe they're holding things tightly to their chest. There were also words being spread around the internet and certainly Twitter about Sony had a bunch of trailers they wanted to show. One particular source said they even saw some of those game reveals behind closed doors. But for whatever reason, Sony didn't show them in this showcase which to me is BS because why would they do that? Why why would they wait? Unless, and this is just getting into like the ridiculous conspiracy theory sphere, if they were waiting to see what Xbox shows. To answer it. And to basically answer that call and say, okay, well, if they've got that, we've got these things. I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, Usually PlayStation's the one to lead and Xbox is the one to follow. Yeah, so Not just in like dates wise, but as far as like big releases, mm-hmm. Sony's the one that's really, they usually throw out what they have, like all at the fan kind of thing. They do. Uh, so if I had to guess what's going to happen, summer will come and go, Spider-Man will release in September, and then around October, November timeframe, PlayStation will announce another showcase. That's where they're going to formally reveal uh, the PlayStation 5 Pro or whatever console's Uh, whatever iteration of the PlayStation 5 they're currently working on. And then as part of that, they'll reveal the Wolverines, the Ghost of Tsushima 2s, and maybe some of these other games that are in development. The new Monster Hunter. 
Yeah, maybe. Well, with Dragon's Dogma, I don't see them cannibalizing or like because Capcom was already there. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the new Monster Hunter, not Switch, is going to be announced soon. Just because they they did the final update for Rise. It's just coming out here in a like couple weeks. Could be uh, um, at Summer Games Fest. You never yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be later on this year that they're showing us their kind of timeline. Yeah, but a couple other things I want to rattle off here. So um, Assassin's Creed Mirage coming October yep. 12th. You know, your boy Ari Lewis 2011 was pretty pumped about that. That looks like they're going back to the the old school roots of Assassin's Creed. No giant ass open world that takes you 400 hours to beat like Valhalla. This is going back to the more kind of stealth focus of those earlier Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood 3. I'm pretty pumped about that. That'll be a day one. But how are they going to have microtransactions if you can't level gate missions? Hey, Ubisoft always finds a way. That's true. They always find a way. I'll buy that unicorn DLC or whatever bullshit skin they want to sell me. Yeah. Uh, They'll always find a way. Uh, Spider-Man 2 looked incredible. We briefly talked about it. No surprise there. Metal Gear Solid 3 remake. Maybe this is the time that we finally go deep on MGS, Ryan. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We also, as part of the announcement, got a Metal Gear Solid Master Collection containing many of the earlier games. I think there was Metal Gear Solid 1, 2 Sons of Liberty, 3 Snake Eater coming to, I assume, PlayStation Plus in some capacity. I'm not sure if they're doing like a soft remaster of some of these games. Well, you played one, what, a year or so ago as a gentleman's challenge or something like that, and you said it sucked. Is 3 good? (laughs) I don't think they suck. I think it's more... You quit because you hated it. <laughs> well, I You're had, like, this is not fun at all. Well, I had a save file issue where I lost a tremendous amount of progress, first of all, uh, when I was playing the first game. But I also think that control-wise, if you didn't play Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1 growing up as a kid, going and playing a game like that now is a little bit of a steep learning curve. To like get me it. with 007 on the N64. Well, that game's just perfect. I think that's more of a you problem. Well, me trying it, it's it was rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, joking aside, I think, yeah, Metal Gear Solid, I'm sure everything that people say about that game and it being one of the best to ever grace our eyes is true. But when you're playing it nowadays with how far games have come, it's a little bit difficult to okay. get your head around uh, from the control side of things. But Metal Gear Solid 3 Remake, I'm pretty pumped about that. And uh, I definitely need to give that series its, its fair shot at some point. Alan Wake 2 looks creepy as hell. I really enjoyed the first Alan Wake on the Xbox 360 uh, where you play as this writer. It's very um, Twin Peaks, kind of like not, I mean, it's survival horror, but not in the sense of your Resident Evils and Silent Hills. But Alan Wake 2 seems to be taking things to a completely different level with the horror elements, jump scares. It almost looks kind of gross, like some of the Resident Evil type stuff. So I'm pretty excited to play that. That comes out October 17th, just in time for all of the spooky season festivities. So that's pretty cool. Dragon's Dogma 2 looks like a slick. uh, Too many people slept on Dragon's Dogma 1, a great third-person action RPG that had this fun mechanic called the pawn system. So you play in this big old grand open world, you can recruit three other party members. Uh, there's a social aspect to it too, where you can go into this different dimension and recruit real life players that who have cr- who have created um, these NPCs for you to use in your game, which is kind of neat. So I have to imagine that'll carry over into Dragon's Dogma 2. 
Can we just talk about how Capcom has been on an absolute tear recently? Resident Evil 4 Remake, recently Street Fighter 6 released. I think it's like a 92 on Metacritic. Yeah. And Monster Hunter World 2 has to be around the corner. Yeah, I mean, I was watching um, the Dragon's Dogma trailer last night, I think, to prepare for uh, today's recording. I'm like, they're up there with FromSoft as probably my favorite studio. Like, Mm -hmm. they're fantastic. I mean, especially for how much you played Resident Evil 2 Remake. Yeah, I mean, I... I haven't dove too far into their catalog, but for the games I've played, I've played hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, it's just consistent quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing it right over there, for sure. People need to take notes, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, if you have to look at the the people who are just crushing it right now in the video game space, Insomniac, mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of a ship they're running over there, but like the, the fact <laughs> that within four years, Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man came out, and then a few years after that, Miles Morales, Ratchet and Clank, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. And I think there's one other one in there that I'm missing. But then Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine are also in the pipeline. Yeah. Crazy stuff. And then Capcom is just on another level with the remakes. And, you know, you got Street Fighter 6, Dragon's Dogma 2. I'm assuming Monster Hunter. Well, all the Monster Hunter games. Yeah, they're all great. Rise, Sunbreak, all that stuff. So good stuff. They're doing good things out there. And then uh, Phantom Blade Zero. This looked kind of cool. Uh, kind of a slick flashy hack and slash rpg similar to devil may cry mm-hmm. where you play as a samurai looking character yeah um that really looked, fast paced super fast paced yeah yeah that looked pretty sweet uh i don't know if i'm gonna pronounce this right nava from the creators of gree a beautiful indie platformer with the watercolor painting aesthetic yeah this was the one with like was it the cat or the deer or something like that I think that the, the dog just casually died. Yeah, right the, the yeah, the yeah, that's that's what it was. It was the yeah. dog dying, and there was a puppy there, and they mourned like the mom's loss, and it was like, holy crap! All right, yeah, one of those indie games that just rip out your heart right at the beginning <laughs> exactly. of the game. Yeah, um, it's so, like the start of Up. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, all right. This is how we're starting this movie. Um, yeah, all aboard, people. So that looks good. And then, last but certainly not least, probably my game of the show, Sword of the Sea, Giant Squid's next game. Big, big journey vibes. As you said, you have a skateboard. You're just like doing it up in half pipes and all that kind of stuff. So that looks absolutely incredible. And our boy, Austin Winery, returns to compose the soundtrack. Very nice. Because why not? So, uh, yeah, overall, some in- some really nice games shown. I can't knock it too hard because we got some good stuff. I just felt like I said many times at this point, most of those games belonged in Keeley Summer Games Fest and there just wasn't a whole lot of first party Sony stuff that we know about at this point. Yeah. Outside of Spidey. Yeah. So, which isn't a bad thing. Spidey look, I mean they went on for like 10 minutes of yeah. gameplay. Uh, I know Pete was like, "Do I even need to play this game because I've watched the entire game already?" Yeah. In this I, I like the darker take on it though. Yeah. With uh, Venom. Yeah. Um, that'll be an interesting. And I think you can at will, like throughout the entire game, switch between Miles and Peter. That's going to be sweet. Which will be awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how they kind of tag team that in missions. Cause I'm sure they'll, I mean, we saw it, right? Like you were playing as Spider Man possessed by Venom and then you just tapped into Miles. The UI change was really cool for Miles as well. Yeah. It was like into the Spider-Verse type like flair to it. Yeah. Which is awesome. So uh, I'm super pumped for that. That'll certainly be a day one buy for me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure me for you as well. But let's shift gears to a little bit, Ryan. I didn't write anything out for this because, well, 
I don't prepare well for these podcasts, I guess. That's all right. I, I can carry the team. <laughs> Xbox predictions. Next week, we have Keeley Summer Games Fest. We also have the Xbox and Bethesda Showcase, where we're probably going to get a ton of Starfield footage and gameplay. Curious, how are you feeling going into this? Because I feel like broken records year over year. This is Xbox's summer. They're going to crush it. They're going to kill it. We're going to find out all the awesome AAA first-party Xbox stuff that's coming down the pipeline. Avowed, Fable, Perfect Dark, Hellblade 2, Starfield, Elder Scrolls 6 is coming out in a few months. Yeah, I put Elder Scrolls 6 2030 question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think at this point they have to show Starfield. I and mean, We were talking off. Well, they've already said like that's going to be a big part of their presentation. Yeah, and it, as it should be. Um, we have to, if it's going to get delayed, we were talking about this off uh, mic, but they need to announce it next week or during this if it's going to get delayed. Yeah. Um, and not kind of wait and kind of, Closer to the actual current. Well, their brand is so tarnished right now because, I mean, multiple reasons, but I think the biggest one, most notably recently, is weeks before Redfall was going to be released. They were saying 60 frames per second. We're super pumped to release it. And then, like, then they delivered on all of their promises. (laughs) A week before release, it's like, actually, no, it's 30 frames per second. And then the review is released and the game was just a disaster. And so I think it's the mixed messaging. And the not clear messaging that we're consistently getting from Xbox, even last year's showcase when they said, hey, everything you're going to see in the next hour is all coming out in the next 12 months. I don't think, I don't think, let me check my notes, anyone's playing uh, the next Hollow Knight Silk Song. Mm-hmm. And that was part of that showcase, right? So, and, and there were a number of things shown there that, I mean, Starfield being another big one that hasn't released or hasn't been released to the the quality that people were expecting. So, Double downing on that clear messaging angle, if there's even an inkling, and at this point they have to know because we're three months away from the supposed, three and a half, four months away from the supposed launch of Starfield, if Todd Howard and team feel like they're not going to be able to li- to deliver this game to the level of quality that Skyrim released with, which, yeah, the, the usual Bethesda bugs, but still game of the year material. Yeah. Um, and what you'd expect from even Fallout 4 at launch, they have to announce on that stage, like, hey, to deliver the best experience, we've learned our lesson with Redfall, we apologize, that's not the Bethesda we want to be, we are going to give you the best, most ambitious space exploration RPG you have ever seen known to man, but you're going to have to wait until January, because we need a few extra months to polish this thing up, to make it the best game it can be, and if they do that on this stage, one, good on Xbox for owning is, that would message. Would this be their second delay if they were to delay? I think so, because originally it was 11, 11, 21, and then they pushed it, no, 11, 11, 22, I think. And then they pushed it to spring of this year, and now they pushed it to September. So I think this would be like the, the fourth delay. <laughs> cool. Which I don't This care. is all hypothetical. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom was delayed a year. And it was bugs, fixes, and it's game of the year material. So, I mean, not that Starfield isn't, I mean, I'm hoping it comes out and it's great. I and hope it, it just comes blows out everyone's too, mind and carries this year's worth of Xbox You can Xbox only have games. so many L's, though, where it's just like, damn, people, like. Yeah, I, I hate sounding like a broken record. I, I want to be pleasantly surprised. 
I mean, it's it'd be pretty easy to come off and show PlayStation up or Sony up after this current last showcase. They don't have to do much. Yeah. So, I mean, come out and destroy with Starfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see Ori 3. That would Ooh. be the thing that I would love to see. Uh, <laughs> if PlayStation, if they were to, after this uh, Xbox showcase, come out and say, all of these games <laughs> coming to PlayStation Plus, that would be a hilarious troll for a company. I don't know. I think the Japanese are a little more respectful than that, but I uh-huh. think it would be a hilarious as a response. Um, yeah, I, I think the big ones would be. I mean, we're not going to see Elden Ring or not uh, Elder Scrolls Six. No. Um, I think it's going to be basically Starfield as the big one. I'd love more gameplay, more into the randomness of each planet, so it kind of gets away or kind of quells our fear of it being a No Man's Sky mm-hmm. of just these empty worlds. Um, I'd love to see them go more into that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we'll the half, see. let's, let's just go down the list here, uh, from memory because I don't have a list up, but the half to seize, I feel like, or like the guarantees, we certainly have Starfield. Mm-hmm. We have Forza Horizon five. That's like, or Forza Motorsport five. I think that's the more realistic one. Yeah. Um, I think those are guarantees. I think Hellblade two got to be a guarantee because i thought that game was supposed to come out like last winter i was gonna say it's been a while since we've seen a trailer so hellblade 2 starfield and forza motorsport 5 those are to me the only three lock-ins i think beyond that then we start getting into we have to see that right it's been a little while right Mm. we have to see avowed right avowed is that kind of fantasy first person rpg yeah this generation's skyrim yeah like like that is a capital r R.A. Lewis 2011 type of game. Like, we've got to see Avowed. So, I hope we see Avowed. <laughs> and then... Please give us this game. <laughs> uh, but then beyond that, it's just to and me... I, I, I don't want to see cinematic trailers. I, I don't care what games they show us at this point. I want to see gameplay. Like, Spider-Man maybe have gone over the top with the amount of gameplay. But, like, for each, it can't just be all cinematic trailers. You, we need to get in the game. I think Phil Spencer knows what he has to do, and I think he's going to bring the gameplay. I just think it's a matter of which games we're seeing. And so, again, the other games that I hope we see... Well, I don't know if he knows what he needs to do, because during the interview of post-Redfall, he said, it's not about the games, it's about the hardware, or whatever bullshit he did on that podcast. I think he was in the heat of the moment, and... It's difficult when you have four people drilling you with difficult questions when one of the biggest game studios published this first-person shooter and it was a disaster at launch and he knew that his teams were deliberately lying about the 60 frames per second weeks before release or months before release or whatever it was and he basically had to fall on the sword for all of Mm -hmm. that, which he did a good job. He took it to the chin. Phil Spencer's been really good at doing that and that's why I think he's going to kick off this Xbox game showcase and say and i truly believe he's going to take that stage and say listen we know that we've royally screwed some things up more recently we haven't been honest we haven't been true to our word last year we said every game was gonna be coming out in the 12 months we didn't do that and so i think it's probably in their best interest to not tie numbers and, and dates to some of this stuff right i mean i think starfield need to be honest about the release date but in terms of like all of these games are coming out in the next 12 months you never know what's going to happen right yeah Things get in the way, so I don't think it makes sense for them to lock themselves into an all 12 months type of deal. But I think he's going to own the messaging about 
the Redfall and the delays of other games or whatever and the joke about not seeing gameplay. And he's not going to make it long. He's going to be super brief and just say, listen, we're going to let our games do the talking. And then Q, just game after game after game after game. Now, where, again, things become a little bit questionable is the heavy hitters, the perfect arcs. There's no way we're seeing perfect arc. That game is years upon years upon years away, in my opinion. Yeah. I think the only game in the pipe dream catalog, and the pipe dream catalog to me includes Fable, Perfect Dark, that Indiana Jones game that they had teased many, many years ago. Um, those are probably the biggest three for me. Fable, Perfect Dark, and the Indiana Jones game. I think the only game out of all three of those, maybe even include Avowed in there, I think the only games we see out of those are Avowed and Fable to me is a stretch. Yeah, there's no way we're seeing Fable. I think Avowed would be the most reasonable. Mm-hmm. For sure. In, and I'm excited for Avowed. It, I'm, I need more Skyrim this from this generation, not two generations ago. Ryan, we have one other game we have to talk about. Every single night, I get my little Banjo-Kazooie plush, and I put him in the center of my room, and me and Scoob huddle around him. And As I get, a remake? I get my little Kazooie, and I sing the Mumbo Mountain song, <laughs> and I put on some you know Grant Kirkhope tunes, and I try. I try my best for all the Banjo-Kazooie fans around the world to somehow spawn an announcement of a true and proper Banjo-Kazooie remake. What are the chances that we see that? Hmm. I I think we have better chances of us seeing a new Halo. But maybe 2024 is your year. (laughs) (sighs) Dude, please. I want to see a 3D platformer of some kind at this showcase. Not Psychonauts. Not, not Psychonauts DLC. Not Balan Wonderworld 2. Well, I'd be pretty happy about that. <laughs> but Yuji you? <laughs> Naka literally just got put in prison for two years for insider trading. So I don't think that's happening anytime soon. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, hey, maybe he's brainstorming. He has two years, right? He's going to come out and just... He's going to come out and just release a hell of a video game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, going to be a fighter. <laughs> I don't know about that. But uh-huh. um, yes. So... I don't know. I, I don't really have any concrete predictions outside of Phil Spencer coming to the stage, being honest about how things have gone in the past year, what we can hope from this next year, games, games, games. And I just hope that we see avowed. Maybe we get a, here's the thing though. We probably wouldn't get a release date for avowed anytime soon because you don't want to put a game like Starfield and avowed close together. Giant RPGs. I wouldn't think. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You don't, I'm assuming they're not going to show anything super big that would take away from Starfield when that's supposed to be their this year's like heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to, I mean, maybe that was PlayStation's thing. They wanted this to not have anything take away from Spider Man. Mm-hmm. But then if you go to 2020 or even 2021 shit type showcases when they're doing three big AAA titles problem is playstation has a lot of big triple a titles that come out consistently whereas mm-hmm. xbox doesn't or hasn't so i i don't know we shall I, see um yeah. i'm not getting my hopes up too much but i'm not asking for much i mean all i would like to see is more star more starfield um either delay it or lock in the release date of september 
I would love to see a little Fable tease. Doesn't have to be a ton. And Banjo Kazooie. I feel like that is asking a lot, but you know what? I've had like five years of disappointment, so <laughs> <laughs> I need I need something. I need something from Xbox to justify my my Series X to not just be uh, a recently Studio Ghibli Blu-ray player, um, <laughs> because that's basically all it's been. Which is great because the Studio Ghibli films are wonderful. But I would love. But now you can do it on Xbox or on PlayStation with HBO Max and. You can shelve the Xbox. I would love. I, I I want another reason to do Game Pass. Yeah. I just you need to give me a reason to do it. Let's renew it, man. Let's renew it. Give me a reason. Yeah, exactly. Ori three, Banjo Kazooie, Fables <laughs> coming out in two months, Starfield in four months, Avowed in six months. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I want one of those, <laughs> at least one of those. But Perfect Dark next year, baby. Yeah, exactly. bring it back. Fable. Tomorrow, <laughs> on a Monday. <laughs> Can you imagine if they shadow drop something like right. that? Are, is today Saturday? Shit. I mean, in two days. Where they, are we? This heat is getting to me, dude. Holy crap. It is hot in here. Yeah, no, I for Xbox, we, we want to love you. Give us a reason to. <laughs> Please. Uh, it's been a couple years, but we're ready to get back in that relationship. Get in the Discord. All right, let us know what are your dream predictions what are your, we need to see it. It's been too long and uh, anything in between. We love to hear from you. This is the time where we get most excited as people who love video games because we get to dream about these different showcases. What's going to be shown for the first time? What's going to be revealed? The updates for games we've been expecting to hear from, but we haven't heard from in a long time. So get in the Discord, join this fun discussion. I know Ryan and I have been negative Nancys for both Xbox and PlayStation, but um PlayStation really didn't show up the way we thought they would, and Xbox remains to be seen here one week away. And we didn't even get into the Keeley Summer Games Fest. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the table. Hopefully no one sneaks in. I'm sure the security measures are going to be pretty tight, <laughs> yeah. given what happened at the Game Awards. We don't need to hear anything about Bill Clinton. His, yeah, whatever his his new uh, religion or whatever he formed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Keep those kids out of there, people. All right. Only the professionals at these showcases. <laughs> But uh, Ryan, what do you say we uh, refill our coffees, take a quick break, and we come back to talk about Jedi Survivor, Tears of the Kingdom, and all the other fun games we've been playing recently? I'm completely down. All right, let's do it.
Ryan. Before we get into the heavy hitters, I do want to briefly mention two games that I finished prior to my Japan trip. I had okay. kind of brief impressions, I think, on a couple episodes back. The first is Resident Evil 4 Remake. This was one of my most anticipated games going into the year. I'm not going to say anything that would surprise people. It's an incredible remake of an already great game. I wrote credits about 15-ish hours and yeah, I, I love the like the smaller, subtle changes they made to the game, particularly the parry mechanic that you can do with Leon. Um, I think that's an absolute game changer, especially for the number of times in that game that you're in tight quarters with enemies. And yeah. I love that you can literally parry a giant um, chainsaw guy uh, with a tiny little knife that Leon's <laughs> holding. Uh, super realistic. But no, that was a great game. I only played through it once, I think, with this and my next game. I'm going to kind of return to it towards the tail end of the year to figure out where, if at all, it's going to fit in my top 10 games of the year list. Yeah. And of course, with Resident Evil 4, you have New Game Plus, uh, so you can go through the game with all the existing weapons that you have. So I'll probably do that, maybe even on the hardest difficulty. Uh, we'll see. But all in all, great remake, and I would not be surprised if it's in the running or the front running for Game of the Year as part of the Game Awards. Would this be one that you'd be considering platinuming? Is it, no. is, is it a hard list? It's ridiculous. I mean, you have to speed run the game, beat the game with only using your knife, beat the game without using a heal item, Holy crap. beat the game on the hardest difficulty. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Okay. And, and most of the Resident Evil remake uh, platinum trophies are just out of this world bonkers. So it's par for the course. But as much as I love Resident Evil 4, there's no way in hell that I'm doing that. Okay, fair enough. So, that would just ruin the fun for me. Uh, but kudos to people who do do that, because right. I know a few folks that have gone for the platinum, and I think maybe even our our boy uh, Devil May Pie, he might have popped the plat on that. So good for those people. That's ridiculous. Yeah, some people like pain. I like fun. <laughs> so uh, yeah, different strokes for different trophy hunters. But next up on my list was a title that I wasn't speaking glowing things about prior to Japan, and that was Forspoken. And I think I kind of came around to seeing the better parts of this game, even though it has a great deal of flaws. It takes way too long for you and to get enough powers in the game to feel powerful. Yeah. I feel like it took six, seven hours before I guess I got some of the different spells where combat felt fluid and actually fun to do. Um, the open world design is just, straight out bad. I mean, it feels like something from the early 2010s, Ubisoft open world, but not in a good way. Uh, the dialogue also doesn't get much better, but I think once the story takes a key turn and there's a bit of a plot twist, I think some of it, some of that cringy dialogue begins to make more sense. That's all I'll say. I won't really go into explaining that anymore. How long into the story is that? Uh, like the last hour of the game. Cool. And that's a 15 hour game. You can beeline the story and probably beat it in between 10 and 15 hours, okay. I would say. Um, hey, you just have to get through 14 hours and uh, then you got one fun one. So enjoy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's OK. I, mean, I think at the end of the day, I'd probably give this game if I was reviewing it professionally, like a 6.57. Like it's not straight out bad, especially people gave this game so much flack and then a few months later something like Redfall comes out. Like, the game's mm. not broke or Gollum. Like, we're not even... Gosh. Let's not even start talking about that game. Um, like, it's not bad. It's just not a great game. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. It's just not good. 
somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, the combat comes together much better towards the end. I was satisfied with the story's conclusion. But like I said with Resident Evil 4, I think I will be returning to this game to clean it up and get the platinum towards the tail end of the year. Um, just to get a to have a fresh perspective of how I feel about the combat, running around that world, doing a lot of the side activities. And, and I could see this game squeezing into my top 10. Not Definitely not high up on the list, but depending on what else I play, because I haven't really played or beaten a, a, a significant number of games this year, yeah. I could see it squeezing into my top 10. Okay. Certainly an honorable mention, so we'll see. But Forspoken, RE4, my two recent beats. And then uh, let's let's save Jedi Survivor for last. Okay. So that we can clear- You also played Monster Hunter since yeah. last time. Yeah, I did. What are your thoughts on that? We're getting into Elder, like kind of the end of the base game. Yeah, I I enjoy Monster Hunter. I, I think it's a, it's a pretty fun game. I understand why people go, like yourself, go absolutely crazy with the the gameplay loop mm-hmm. of when you go back to the smithing person and you see this armor set that you're like, oh, that's going to look so cool. Let's go back into the world and farm this monster seven or eight times to get this armor set, right? That's not super appealing to someone like me. Um, that's why I was trying to get you to play Final Fantasy 15 because I feel like the feel of combat is very similar to Monster Hunter, but you you can freely go and explore the open world. And that's, I think, the, 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 big, the biggest piece about Monster Hunter, there's really two, that keep me from completely getting lost in the experience because there really isn't a rich story there to follow it's there's more of a story in monster hunter world than there is in previous monster hunter games so that kind of holds it back for me but also i just feel like and again this is just the bones of monster hunter so i get it people but i feel like it just restricts you so much and like i want to go explore that world and see all the different dinosaurs and fun monsters littered around it and go to the city and talk to new npcs but it's very much you have a hub, you eat food to prepare for battle, you go to the smithing, and you you figure out your next uh, set of gear that you're going to grind towards, and then you go back into the wild, you kill the monster, you come back, rinse and repeat. There's some other finer collectible things you can do. You can collect bugs and other insects and monsters for your kind of collectopedia thing. There's a lot of really neat things there in the experience, but I just want more of a story and I want more player freedom to just go and explore and get lost in the world. Yeah, it's definitely not Monster Hunter. But I think when you're playing with a friend and you're squatting up like we were doing couch co-op, it makes for some really laugh out loud funny moments. It's super high tension when I'm dying every second and I'm like, Ryan, you gotta <laughs> put on your good gear. <laughs> yeah, you gotta help me out here. I think when you're doing those things, that's when Monster Hunter's at its best. I, I completely agree. I, I think the reason Monster Hunter World, at least, is my number one game of all time is because it was played along with like my roommates at the time. Yep. And we had tons of fun experiences. For sure. And I knew all four people in my party. We were just sitting next to each other, land partying it up. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the way to play. Um, you can play online with other people, but n- without that interaction, I could see it being very grindy. And mm-hmm. it is, I mean, fuck, I've put 500 hours into it. Yeah. Um, and we didn't, I mean, we were going for specific armor sets. Um, we didn't even look, start looking at skills, gems, like being very specific and pointed in what we wanted to get out of your stuff. Um, 
I, I, you're not as anal retentive when it comes to that type of, I want to no. maximize, do the most DPS type stuff. Like I mean, I this is the most Ryan game I've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it really is. And so it makes sense that it's your, you know, your favorite game of all time. I totally get it. I understand why people are so crazy about the Monster Hunter series. I just think the the finer mechanics really don't appeal to someone like me and, and how I like to play games. But uh, like I said, I want to continue playing it with you. I want to beat it. I want to finish the Elder Dragon stuff. And I mean, I think the more appealing side of the Monster Hunter world for me would be going back into the wild, almost treating it like a Pokemon game, filling out my Monsterpedia stuff. And you can have like a little part of the hub world to be almost like your home. Yes. And you can kind of collect a lot of those things you and see them on display. You can catch a lot of bugs and birds and put them in your room and they fly around. Yeah. So I, mean, I think look. that stuff is super cool and appeals to me more. Uh, but yeah, I, I just don't think it's quite my game, uh, my type of game. But I'll tell you what I would love to to play and I feel like I'd go super deep on uh, is the Monster Hunter stories. Yes. The more Pokemon. The Pokemon one. Version of Monster Hunter. Yeah. That sounds like my jam. Yeah, no, I think you'd really like that one. So I think that's on Switch. Uh-huh, I have it. I can give you the second one. Yeah, so I want to give that a try. And I'm also not opposed to playing uh, certainly Monster Hunter World 2 when it eventually releases or even giving Monster Hunter Rise a try. Um, I, I think that would be fun to play at launch. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not like super geared up and I can't help you farm. It's all of us struggling together, which I, yeah. I, which I tried to emulate um, by lowering my gear to like gear level. But not having the ability to then say, hey, dude, this monster's tough, like the Diablos. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Hey, I'm glad you played it. Yeah, dude. That's- no, I had to, had to check the box for my bro, and we had a good time. So I'm looking forward to continue playing that with you. Um, but we also played two other games. Yeah, I, I have a couple other ones that I can quickly run through. Go for it, yeah. Um, I So just an update on Scarlet and Violet, which I talked about last time. I had mentioned that they're updating Pokemon Home to allow those to like trade in Pokemon and stuff. And that update has happened. So that's good there. Um, I play, I mentioned RuneScape last time as I do on every episode. I have played more RuneScape. Uh Um, What's your hour count? 122. I still don't believe you, but okay. So uh, (laughs) last time I was talking about questing. (laughs) It's just a hard pause. Because Last episode, he was at 125 hours. So yeah, yeah. I'm going back. I don't really know how that yeah. works. The more I play, the less I play. Right? Is that how that works? I don't know. Um. So anyway, um, last time I was talking about quests and how I hate doing quests and stuff, and I, I want to say I had maybe a hundred, maybe 40 left at that time. I'm down to just six quests left. So I'm almost done. It's definitely opening up the world to a different way of playing, which is really cool. Um, and once that all my the six remaining quests are done, I can start playing the game. Nice. Cool. Um, and then after that, it, yeah, it's really just the big two. All right. Well, let's get into that. So strap in, people, because we're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and Star Wars Jedi Survivor. We're going to keep both very spoiler-free. We are going to do a brief spoiler-filled section for Jedi Survivor, but that'll fade out the show, so we'll clearly give an indication of when we're going to jump into that part of the discussion, so fear not. Um, I guess I'll kick things off, because my history with Breath of the Wild is an interesting one. I got a Switch a little bit late. Uh, One of the first games I got for Switch was not Breath of the Wild, and I kind of appreciated that game from afar. I know... 
people are Breath of the Wild wild. Like, I mean, that is most people's like favorite game of all time. And people put hundreds of hours. They keep going back to it. It's 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 their Skyrim. It's their RuneScape. It's it's the game they continually retreat to because they think there's just still much so much more juice to squeeze yeah. from that orange. I never quite had that experience with Breath of the Wild. Even to this day, I've always seen it as this super overwhelming experience that I just don't know if I'll ever truly appreciate that the same way other people do. I also tweeted about kind of in the lead up to launch for Tears of the Kingdom that I think part of it too was not being a part of that launch hype experience with other people. Everyone's tweeting about it. Everyone's talking about it on podcasts. Everyone's just ranting and raving about Breath of the Wild. And I missed out on that. Mm-hmm. And so to jump back into that game and not to be to be part of that conversation with other people was also a reason why I feel like this is what I'm telling myself anyways, that it just didn't make sense for me to go back to Breath of the Wild anytime soon. Yeah. But I thought, what if... I am part of that conversation and I'm part of that hype surrounding this release and I jump into Tears of the Kingdom, especially when I knew there were going to be all kinds of advertisements littered around Japan. And so I did pick up Tears of the Kingdom and I was lucky to get the collector's edition because when I picked up my reserved copy at GameStop, um, they had three left. And I said, can I upgrade my copy or my pre-order? And they said, absolutely. So I got Tears of the Kingdom. I've played it for about three to five hours and I'm still on the tutorial island. I haven't even jumped oh, off of that yet. So okay. I am still very, very early into this game. So I guess I'll kind of reserve my impressions and I'll allow you to kind of take the stage here. You love Breath of the Wild. You played it quite a bit. How are you liking Tears of the Kingdom? I'm about three hours in. Uh, <laughs> I currently haven't jumped off the island either. So uh, I, maybe next podcast we can talk about this. Uh, so Breath of the Wild, I played through it twice or three times, um, and that's not on purpose <laughs> for one of those times, but I had to. So this was the first game I got when I bought the Switch from Rick, and I didn't realize that your saves are tied to profiles, and I played on Rick's thing, thinking nothing of it. And then I made my own profile, Ryan, on my Switch, and I was like, oh, all right, I'll just delete Rick, because he's never going to play the Switch again. Deleted my Breath of the Wild save oh, after no. I'd beaten it fully so i was like well shit i still had stuff to do masks to collect all the fun type that type stuff uh so i beat it again on the normal mode and then i think i got halfway through master mode Jeez. um i never did the dlcs like the bike dlc or i tried going through there was like it was they take all your armor away it's like trial of the sword or something like that and it gives you a like 20 different levels that you have to go through. They provide the items around these individual locations and you have to beat the monsters in that item. So some of the shrines in Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild are like this. It's like a trial of combat, um, which I think is a cool idea. I was just not good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as Tears of the Kingdom, I've played it at least 150 hours. Uh, First playthrough, I got maybe 120 hours in. The thing about this is there's a compendium, mm-hmm. and it's basically a Pokedex um, of materials, monsters, their drops, all the little animals and all the t- stuff around the world, and I wanted to complete it, and I wanted it to complete it in a very specific way because, again, like Monster Hunter, I'm very anal retentive, and it has to be perfect. More probably OCD, and... 
the way the reason I guess how I was completing it was for like the materials, so monster drops, I would put them on the ground so the entire deck looked organized. Mm-hmm. So the background was just bright grass near my house with flowers. And then for all of the weapons that you can also show, they were all in the stands that you can have in your house to display your weapons. So for those that don't know, you have there's a camera feature in Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild for that matter. And so when you take a picture of these various items, it adds it to your compendium. Yes. It basically registers that you've noticed this thing in the game. Mm -hmm. And then when you use your camera later on in the game, so like if you flag a monster, it'll show it's this monster with this like uh, sword. Mm -hmm. So say it's a bogoblin, a red bogoblin with a traveler's sword. It'll show up each of those items when you scan over it. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to have. Um, But I progress the game not how the game wants you to progress. And I leveled up all of my people in the overworld, so I was unable to take a picture of like a red Bacoblin boss, and I wasn't able to get his material. So you, after There's, 120 hours... There was no way for me to ever see that again, so I restarted. <laughs> I just can't even comprehend, like in my brain, ever, ever doing that purposefully. <laughs> <laughs> but in runescape time what's 120 hours like your your longest game last year was probably less than blink of an eye man (laughs) for you your longest game played last year was less than 120 hours probably by a long shot there are like five games in my entire existence that i've played for 120 recorded hours let alone doing it in two weeks (laughs) that's true i didn't sleep much dude that was tweaking on caffeine just playing this game. Um, so I, I guess how I played it the first time and how there, I'll suggest how I think you should play this game. And it's not how I did it the first time. So the way I played it the first time was I was, I mean, I do suggest you go to all the towers, unlock the map. So it at least shrinks the world a little bit so you're able to teleport to those regions a little bit easier mm-hmm. because it is a big freaking world. Yeah. Um. What I did was I unlocked, you're able to upgrade your armor with fairies um, around the world. And Question for you then. So as part of that upgrade system, because I never even played Breath of the Wild enough to figure this out. And I'm sure people are going to be like, oh, Rusty, what a scrub. Well, I am. So <laughs> yeah. how do you get more hearts? Is that the same way? Yeah, so doing the shrines. So doing the shrines, you get um, like an orb at the end. And when you get four of them, you go to um, a shrine I guess you haven't jumped off the world, so you haven't actually done it. No. So you've done three of the shrines, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay, yeah. so when you do your fourth, you'll go to a shrine and it'll... I'll, I mean, the first world doesn't allow you to pick. It gives you a heart. But when you do them in the overworld, it'll say, hey, do you want to do stamina or do you want to do a heart? Okay. I would suggest doing stamina first for like the first five upgrades, and then you can do hearts because you want that second full stamina wheel. Yeah, Because it, sure. it helps a ton. Yeah. For gliding around... Um, it's a requirement. Climbing, like literally everything. Climbing. Um, what's nice is you can make vehicles and things with all of the Zonite items. Which yeah, so is let's nice. let's pause this for a second, right? Because when we originally were seeing some of the footage from Tears of the Kingdom, at least some of the teaser stuff, it was like, oh, this is this is very much Breath of the Wild two. Same setting, same length, same world, same graphical style, pretty much the same game, but more of it yeah. that we love. And then I don't know if it was a few months ago, maybe it was at some point last year. I think it was earlier this this year that we first discovered that 
yes, same world, same length, same all the stuff, but like now you have fusion abilities so you can literally build vehicles as part of the puzzle solving. You're going to be fusing logs and trees together to get your way from from one cliff to the next cliff type of stuff. Yeah. So going into the game, were you excited about this feature? Were you scared? How how do, how are you liking it now? Um, I, I think it definitely grows on you the more you have access to energy cells. And that's what I did in my first playthrough. I was like, dude, if I can make all of these vehicles, I want to be able to use them. Mm-hmm. But you get like three cells or like one full cell when you start out. And in total, you can get 16. So you get eight cells on and then you overlap them with blue. So all I did was farm down below the Zonite rocks and just upgraded the hell out of it. And I, I think that opens up the world a lot more. Okay. Um, I've seen some broken and crazy machines and the, I mean, the internet's torturing Koroks, which is hilarious, but well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, not necessarily the torturing piece, but just, <laughs> I love torture. Let's, but, wait. but more so the, the building and fusion side of things, wait. because, um, well, let me, let me just finish yeah, this like okay. quick thought. So like, it was a little worrisome to me because I hate the gummy shit building stuff in um, in kingdom hearts. Yeah. And while I've never really given it the time of day, it never was appealing to me. Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts where you're building all of these vehicles. And what I was hoping would be a traditional Banjo Kazooie 3d platform on the Xbox 360. So I was a little scared going into this. I, I, saw I was too, but I feel like at least when you're on that first tutorial Island, I was having a lot of fun. Now, however, in a similar way to Jedi survivor, when you're scaling these walls, you're running along walls and I feel like you can oftentimes cheese your way through the platforming in that game. You can cheese the hell out of Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, you can break this game really quick if you really want to. Because those first few gaps that you had to get across in Tears of the Kingdom, they gave you all kinds of materials. They gave you sticks. They gave you logs. They gave you wooden platforms to connect to the logs, to connect to these hooks. So you could basically glide your way to the next platform. No, Rusty didn't do that. Rusty connected the hook and as it started like running down the, um, how would you even describe yeah, it? Yeah, the, like the rail. The rail, I literally just jumped on the hook and just held on for a dear life. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely not how you're supposed to, hey, but it's, no, that's, that's the fun thing about the sandbox is you can play however you want. Yeah. Um, I, I'm enjoying the sandbox. It is the same base world, like overworld, um, but you get three more different areas to it so you have the sky with all the islands um there's like two uh, armor sets that are really like help traverse that are up there that you can find and then you have the stuff below so the change to this is the chasms um which they didn't have in the first game and holy crap it it basically doubles the size of the world that's crazy there's a ton to explore down there um I know in the first game, like the speed runs, they go straight to Ganon. You can go straight to Ganon if you really wanted to. It's a little bit harder to get to than in Breath of the Wild. But like on my first playthrough, I didn't do any of the main like big like water temple, thunder temple to beat any of the bosses. And just because of how powerful I was upgrading all of my armor, I got all the way to Ganon. Like without doing anything in the game except for exploring upgrading my armor and just playing the game how you're not supposed to. Yeah. Which is a ton of fun. Um, But on my second playthrough, I'm definitely playing more traditional. Okay. So how I suggest you play is first, once you get off the main island, they're going to say 
go to this lookout tower, which is basically kind of like your home base. Mm-hmm. And it un- there you do like two quests and then it unlocks the towers. Before that, you can't do any of the towers that open up the map. So that's the first thing I would say doing. And then there's like Pora, Pola, some, there's two ladies there. And they basically say, hey, let's explore the depths or like the chasms mm. type thing. I would suggest doing that quest next, which unlocks the camera. And okay. then from there, you pretty much have everything you need to do compendium, the overworld map. All the stuff. Yeah, all the stuff. That really opens up the game. I didn't play it that way my first time, and it wasn't as fun as the second playthrough. Okay, good so stuff. So I would do that. Um, yeah, there, there's so much in this game. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to playing it more. I, I think this is definitely one of those things that I'm going to continue to kind of chip away at over the course of the year. I don't think I'm going to spend 180 hours in it in the two weeks leading up to Final Fantasy 16, but I think I'll probably play a couple hours every week. And I think this is certainly something that I'll be playing just deep into the year, even as we get into game of the year conversation. I don't know, maybe I'll surprise myself and I'll go absolutely nuts and just pump dozens of hours into this game every single week. But I really think that there's a possibility that once I start playing and I start clearing certain areas of the map, this could be borderline Assassin's Creed Ubisoft open world stuff where I treat the shrines as like those different uh, outposts in like a Far Cry game. And I'm just knocking these things out and I can't be stopped. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there's 152 of them, I think. There's yeah. a crap ton. And then like 150 caves. Um, I would say if you want a less grindy experience to not upgrade your uh, the current version of your game past the first one, because there's a lot of duplication that you can do in the first. I think I already upgraded and saved, oh, okay. saved over that. Yeah. Um, I, I know YouTube was going crazy with like the dupes. Um within the first week they did patch a lot of that there's still some dupes you can do in the most recent version mm-hmm. but for anyone who hasn't updated it's out there if you want it yeah um i'm looking it, forward to playing more i mean i think my biggest problem with both breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom is the legend of zelda is known for its signature scores and music mm-hmm. and most of the time you're just in the open world and you just hear that subtle like And, and don't get me wrong. And then when you're in the heat of combat, you know, the music kind of picks up and you're in the different villages and stuff. There's certain music, but I just miss those great, you know, Koji Kondo, great uh, Zelda scores for these games. So that's, that's a bit of a bummer, but, um, I think that just means more Pete door in the background while I'm playing, Yep. while I'm playing this game. I, I mean, do you typically play this game with a podcast or YouTube video up in the background? I mean, for most of those hours, I was on the phone with Rick. We are just going through the world together. Oh, hey, I found this. I found this. Oh, crap. Do this side quest. That's you get fun. this, which is a ton of fun. Yeah. It's very similar to like how I played Monster Hunter. Um, so that's how I played it a lot. Mm. Going through shrines on the second playthrough, I'm definitely listening to videos or watching videos. Um, a new RuneScape uh, game mode came out. So I've been watching a lot of PKing or player killing that I'm not able to do. So I've been watching a lot of that, but... Yeah, as far as my first playthrough, it was like a hundred percent focus. Mm. Like I, I, it's an interesting story. They're they're definitely hamming it up compared yeah. to the first one, but well, yeah, there's a lot there. The last thing I'll say too is, I skipped Breath of the Wild. I only played it for five hours. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're wondering, can I skip Breath of the Wild and jump into Tears of Kingdom? 
I'm sure the purists for Breath of the Wild would say absolutely not. You need to play that game for 200 hours before you can move on to Tears of the Kingdom. I say screw that. There's a, a six-minute video that Nintendo, their, their YouTube channel put out, kind of summarizing the story and giving you the key cutscenes from Breath of the Wild. I watched that prior to picking up Tears of the Kingdom, and I don't feel like... I mean, the Zelda games are rarely known for the rich storytelling. It's not like you're watching an eight-minute clip of The Last of Us and some of those key story beats are being spoiled in a six-minute video. Like, there are some fun things and interesting things that happen over the course of Breath of the Wild, but I don't think if you're interested and you want to be part of the conversation and part of the Tears of the Kingdom hype, watch that video, skip Breath of the Wild, pick up a nice little uh, copy of Tears of the Kingdom and jump right in. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you lose out on by not playing the first game is... It's in the same universe, so there are references back to those characters from some of those key moments. Yeah. For like it's the in that game, essentially I don't want to spoil anything. You have those big dungeons, like mm-hmm. the walking elephant or the those type of things. There are references back to those areas. Okay. Like the Gerudo area, the the fish place, like there are references back that you you wouldn't have as much of a a moment as those they're introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a side quest, Terry Town, which you basically in the first game build a town, and it, it shows up again. But okay. like you don't have the ability or you don't have the experience of having built it and pulled in all the resources and stuff. But it is there in the second, and you're like, oh, I cool. did that. Work I did here. that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, but besides that, yeah, it's it's not 100 percent required. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, I'm sure for the next several weeks and months, you and I will continue to say, oh yeah, well, I played more Tears of the Kingdom, a couple more updates there, uh, just because it's that type of a game. Yes. And it's super beefy, but let's maybe shift gears a little bit All right. and talk about Star Wars Jedi Survivor, also one of our most anticipated games going into this year. Mm-hmm. The sequel to my 2019 game of the year yeah. in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And that was one of the last times that you and I truly nerded out and sat on a couch together and played a game literally nonstop for like eight to 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a long day. It was a long day. (laughs) And recording was definitely canceled on that day. That was, uh, but going into Jedi survivor, you've rolled credits. You rolled credits a couple weeks ago. You kind of did with this game that I did with God of War Ragnarok. You beat it in like a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't want it to bump up against tears of the kingdom. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so no spoilers. Um, you've had some time for the story to kind of simmer a bit in your minds. How do you feel about this overall? And how do you kind of rank it to, I guess, in comparison to Jedi Fallen Order? I, I think it's hard to compare the two because they're doing two different things. Um, Jedi Fallen Order uh, had to introduce an entirely new universe or section of the Star Wars universe that we, we carved out for Cal. Um so a lot of those moments, and there's a lot of references to what we've seen previously in the Star Wars universe. Um, it we're not doing spoilers, right? No so spoilers. I can't right reference now. even for the first one, for like worlds. Uh, I, yeah, I I try and do your best to just okay. tiptoe around everything because um, I mean I know there are people out there that haven't played Fallen Order yet. I think there's similar to one quick I guess thing we should preface by saying I think. Jedi Fallen Order is much more worth going back to than Breath of the Wild. One, because it's a shorter story, 
But I think the connection story-wise and seeing the development of Cal Kestis, the main protagonist, his surrounding cast of characters. You're, you, it's. Re- I think it's required on this game to play the first. There's you, just so much good stuff. And just to see how he learns, you know, some of the different force powers and... Um, well, it's a continuation. It's not plopped into the same universe like Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Like, I mean, Tears of the Kingdom could be a hundred years after the first game, whereas this one's direct like five years after. So all the same cast coming out of the first game is there. And you have all of the, I mean, this story references what happens in the first game, like mm-hmm. directly with those relationships. So Very much so. It would spoil or sour that experience. I think so. And make it worse. Well, I think it may be a stretch, but I think it'd almost be like jumping into Ragnarok and not having played 2018's God of War. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. To a certain extent. Because, I mean, nothing from the first game would have been established. Yeah. And the, the the first one was definitely like, hey, this is Cal. He's he's had this backstory and he's do- going this direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the first game definitely had more fan service worlds yeah. than this one, um, which could be why we might enjoy the first one better. This middle games, I mean, to trilogies are hard. Um, there's, you don't get the like flair of a new universe you have to build on. And it's kind of the rising action instead of the climax or instigating events of a plot. Right. Um, I, I think what they did, I don't know. It, overall it, thoughts, overall thoughts. I, I, the combat's still great. Mm-hmm. I, I think the traversal of the world being able to teleport around or, Fast Waypoint, travel. fast travel is, that's the reason I didn't plat, uh, platinum the first game is because holy shit, was it hard? Yeah. Like the cave systems in the map and you're like, I don't know what level I'm in. I don't know how to get out of here. I can't just teleport to my freaking ship. Which sucks. That That is the biggest hurdle, I think, for people because so many games have, like fast travel is just embedded in grain of our minds. It's just such an expectations and such an expectation that we have for bigger video games and that was the most notable omission in Jedi Fallen Order especially for people that were trophy hunting because the map when you pull it up um like pull up the screen it looks very similar to your Metroidvanias so you have like almost this hologram so to Ryan's point when you're looking for like one collectible or you've 99.8% per, uh, cleared the map and there's just this 0.2% that you can't find drives you absolutely nuts so i never 100 percented it i never got the platinum for that reason because again no fast travel i mean it's it's the worlds and levels are built very similar to your bloodborns and dark souls so you find shortcuts and stuff like that but you're on literal planets here so i mean even shortcuts aren't enough to quickly navigate these worlds yeah and the maps i mean they're holograms so it's not clear i mean one of the worlds it's like an interlocking underground cave system. Yeah. And when you look at the map, it says, hey, for this section of the cave, you have X out of X collectibles. You're like, okay, cool. Let me teleport to that section of the cave or let me find my way to that. It's just a mess because of the levels. And it completely basically blacks out one level when you go to the next. Yeah. So it's just a clusterfuck. Yeah. But. I think there are a lot of improvements there. I love that they kept the abilities, or at least the strength that Cal gained from the first game. It's not like this Tears of the Kingdom, where it's like immediately he gets all of his powers sucked away. You're like, God, you just cut me off at the kneecaps. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I love that they grew on, like you immediately have a double jump that you gain in the first one, I think. Um, you have his proficiency in his moves. Like you, you're not neutered, mm-hmm. which I really liked. And then from there, and it shows his progression from a Padawan to more of a Jedi Knight or getting close to that. Um, I, I Yeah, I like that. So they were able to grow there. Oh, there's like lightsaber stuff. Obviously, the combat Sekiro esque. Mm-hmm. I really like. Um, I think it, I thought it was a little bit easier. I played on Jedi Master, so the second hardest difficulty. The hardest difficulty was just the timing with some of the lower frame rates. I didn't find to be really feasible to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know for the first couple missions, I tried it and I played on the hardest difficulty, but I think it's very doable. Uh, there's one boss fight though that I I lowered the difficulty definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I liked all the new lightsaber type stuff. I th- I think they're interesting. Um, they didn't take any of the old styles away to give us new things. They just kept on growing on that foundation that was built. Yeah. Um, as far as story goes, I think we'll have to do a spoiler section. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. <sighs> In these type of game, or like even the Star Wars universe, there's always going to have to be a new big bad to mm-hmm. progress the plot. And it's hard not to feel like it's a token mm-hmm. to like, we have to have this type thing, which it kind of ran into for me. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I don't know. I, I think the direction it's going, this was a good middle section to a trilogy. Yeah. And I'm excited to see where it goes after this. I'm I'm hoping uh, it continues to grow on what's been established. Yeah, I would no. love to see Cal have some crossovers, cra- well, ca- crossovers with the established, more cinematic universe. Yeah, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure in the time. I know where it's after. I don't know the current what else is going around on around it, like whether it's Rebels or Ahsoka, or where Luke is, if he's even born, or like how old he's at at this point. Yeah. Um, but it'd be s- s- cool to, similar to Star Wars Battlefront 2, have some crossovers like that in the main yeah, story. Yeah, for sure. And I guess just for, I don't, this is not spoiling anything, but Fallen Order and Survivor both take place between the events of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So episodes mm-hmm. three and four, to kind of give you a picture of, who's involved, what Star Wars characters from the Skywalker saga are we familiar with that might potentially be present in these stories or could be present in in this next theoretical game uh, and this Jedi series that I imagine is going to be a trilogy. But my thoughts, like I said, Fallen Order was my 2019 game of the year for so many reasons. I just felt like, to your point, there was so much fan service infused in the game. There are very few games to that point before that game's release where you truly felt like a Jedi or felt like you were controlling what it would be like to have the force, to have a lightsaber. You had the force unleashed. That was an okay third person action game. You have the the Knights of the Old Republic type games, but those are more turn based RPGs. So you didn't really mm-hmm. truly get the feel of a lightsaber and holding it in your hand. But I feel like Fallen Order and certainly Survivor, how it improves upon it. There's no better game that makes you feel like a Jedi than these games. Yeah, I mean the combat's fantastic, and it, the parry mechanic type stuff is probably not for everyone. But as far as like, I feel like this was what it would be to be a Jedi and to fight through different scenarios. Definitely the best. Yeah, I think Force Unleashed would be the best as far as Force stuff, thus in the title. Um, 
uh, the power of those force abilities was just freaking ridiculous in yeah. those games. And I went back and played it when we got the PlayStation Online. I think I played the original or the second one, and it, it's still great. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love using lightnings and just cooking Wookies. Yeah, um, which we can't do in this game, but definitely the combat's the closest thing to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so outside of that, I mean, I think like you said too, quality of life stuff, much improved in this game. Fast travel is definitely a game changer. I think Cal's character, he's a little more immature as you'd expect in the first game because he's a Padawan. He's still learning the finer mechanics of what it is to be a Jedi and the rules he's supposed to abide by because he's a Jedi. I feel like the character development in this game is is much more nuanced and, and Cal, I think rightfully so, is just questioning does he need to abide by this? What does that really look like? And how they kind of tiptoe around that from a character development side of things. Again, it's more nuanced. I feel like it's just more interesting than what we saw in some of the stuff in Jedi Fallen Order that was kind of more uh, by the numbers yeah. for a Star Wars story and how it kind of fits into that greater Skywalker saga jigsaw puzzle. And so with all that being said, I, I think that's probably where I'll cap it in terms of my feelings because I think once we get into story stuff, literally anything could be deemed a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I want to briefly touch on for at least my experience playing the game from a performance side of things. Again, I was playing on PS5 performance mode. Uh, I never really ran into any game breaking glitches necessarily, but there was at least one or two instances where I was trying to use a force power to move something. And I was instead using my lightsaber, even though it was prompting me to press a button to use a force power and so I had to restart my game and then it worked again. Okay. And then there was another instance where I landed my ship, I got out of my ship and my entire stomach was missing. Nice. Like I literally could just see right through Cal. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to go through a major cutscene looking like this. So I really. the best cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Where it shows all your like side mission gear. Like yeah. I know I've gone, I went through, I think in the first Spider-Man game, it was like supposed to be a romantic kind of moment between Peter and uh, Mary Jane. And I had like a skeleton suit on where my head was on fire. Yeah. Those are the best. Yeah. Uh, so I restarted my game and Cal Kestis's stomach came back. Okay. Um, so there were a few instances like that, but I didn't have like any hard crashes where I was in the middle of the game and the game just like literally restarted. Nothing like that. I think the team at respawn has been working hard to patch things up to avoid those things from happening moving forward. So I think if you play the game today, you should be good, but just know there, there's some kind of like glitchier stuff that you'd expect to see, uh, like in a Fallout or Skyrim type of experience. Yeah, I think I only had one crash when I was, I clicked save and then, I mean, it periodically auto saves, which is nice, mm-hmm. but I did a hard save and it crashed, mm. um, but didn't lose too much. So it wasn't a big deal. Okay. Well, let's shift into spoiler territory. You clearly, uh, the heat's taking a toll on you. You're seeming a little sleepy. Dude, I'm freaking struggling like i'm melting inside and outside and we already kicked the dog out because he was having a heat stroke over here yeah well i want to briefly talk through spoilers so this is your warning that if you don't want to hear anything spoiled for jedi survivor please uh it's been wonderful having you listen to this podcast ryan will be back next week for our thoughts about the xbox showcase and certainly uh summer games fest before Ryan has a bunch of traveling trips over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. I can give a fun fact if they want a fun fact. Right? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So in the spirit of Japan, um, the founder of Japan 
was Emperor Jimmu, J-I-M-M-U, in around 400 AD. And the legend says he's a direct descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu, mm. which is also a Naruto ability of the Mengekio Sharingan. So it's great that Japan named their goddess after Naruto. Naro? No, Jesus. <laughs> what was that? I'm having a stroke, dude. Naruto ability. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, anyway, uh, the ruling dynasty currently traces back to uh, this founding emperor. <laughs> what was that? Fuck. Well, are we restarting? Are we going to edit that out? No, we're just going to oh, leave cool. it. Um, well, well also, gonna, all right. Also, fun fact, Amaterasu is the name of the, the, dog. the dog in yeah. Okami. Yeah, it's a... I think in Naruto, it's a fire that burns fire, mm. which makes sense. The sun is freaking hot. So Okay, cool. good stuff. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Ryan and I are going to jump into a very brief spoiler-filled conversation for Jedi Survivor because Ryan is literally dying. Yes, it's over a here. Um So yeah, the first thing I'll say about this game is that nothing was spoiled for me, but, and this is why I didn't want to say this is part of the, the first part of our conversation, is that when I was listening to a couple reviews and roundtable conversations, especially with the guys that kind of funny and my buddy Charlie texted me, you texted me and all three of these particular people that I heard from or the roundtable discussions. They said, Oh my gosh, you would not believe the moment I just experienced in this game. It was so cool. One of the coolest things I've ever done in video games. And I was just like, Oh damn. All right, cool. I'll anticipate that. And I feel like I spent the rest of my time playing this game waiting for that moment to happen Mm -hmm. and i just never really felt like it did there were some cool moments but i I think i was referencing we're in spoilers so the darth vader fight okay see the moment that this person was referring to was a different one and so what i'll I'll say before we get into like those specific moments is that i felt like in Jedi Fallen Order, they kind of just trickled and kind of sprinkled these moments that made the game consistently so much more compelling for you. I know earlier earlier in Jedi Fallen Order, when you and I were playing for like 10 hours, you got to that one uh, planet where there was just tons of stormtroopers everywhere. And when you're getting ready to leave the planet, a giant ATST approaches you. And you and I just like look at each other like, oh my, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to work? We're a human. How are we going to fight yeah. a giant ATST? And just how scared you and I felt with the control in our hands. Like, we'll, def- we'll deflect bullets. We'll use the force to push back its rockets at it. You know, by any means necessary. And just how strong we felt when we slayed the ATST. Yeah. And then deeper in the game, when you meet up with Saul Guerrera and you're controlling the ATAT and you're mm-hmm. just blowing up stormtroopers cool. and all that yeah. kind of stuff and how cool that moment was because again the childlike wonder the fan service of it all well, being they had huge star wars they fans dathomir which is maul's planet that was they me the next sheet that, that was me the third one and yeah. so when in dathomir when you get to that area the workbench and you add that thing to your lightsaber and dual lightsaber being yeah. we're 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 kids of we're products of the 90s so we're nostalgic for the prequels at this point and so being able to hold a lightsaber in the way of Darth Maul was such a cool moment. And so I feel like part of why this game didn't hit as hard for me is because 
some of the novelty of that has kind of worn off. Mm-hmm. We kind of just anticipate and expect those types of moments. I mean, there was one point where I was in a desert area and I was riding on this goofy, like camel looking creature from Star Wars. Yeah. And I see a bunch of stormtroopers in ATST and I just hopped off my thing, whacked it a few times on a lightsaber and I moved on. Like I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't this, oh gosh, what do I do now? Yeah. And so I think part of me not fully enjoying this experience as much as I did with Fallen Order was because those moments just didn't really hit as hard anymore. No, I think that's fair. And that's why it's hard to compare the first to the second. It, sure. It's in the same universe, but you have a lot of that like Order 66 backstory yeah, type stuff so in the cool. first one. And it's like, oh, shoot, that's awesome. But now you understand that's part of Cal's past. And now it's growing on that. But the like shock and awe of like those type of moments are completely different now. Now it's like growing of like, I I think the closest it got to those type of moments is Darth, the Darth Vader fight was just fun. Mm -hmm. Um, It was cool to see coming out of the end of the first game where like you are running through the Inquisitor base and Darth Vader's there just freaking killing for days mm-hmm. and you're like oh that's cool now i can actually fight him and he's as strong like he was the hardest boss for me mm-hmm. um by far but i think outside of that boss fight the closest it got to like an oh shit kind of moment of as far as like changing the plot or growing is when cal kind of embraced like a gray jedi or the dark side mm-hmm. and i i love that i i mean as much as i want him to go full force unleashed do lightning i would love to see a full turn and then redemption mm-hmm. um it, it's hard with so many star wars movies of these plots that like relate it back to the other movies and like oh it's re- reused type story because mm-hmm. we've already at this point with disney we've had like 47 star wars movies mm-hmm. but like i think it would feed or feed that itch of feed that itch it would allow us to experience the dark side, which I love doing. I love force lightning. I love force choking people, which we kind of got to do a little bit. Well, I think um, that's, that, that plays into one of my missed opportunities from this game is that I feel like the first 15 hours of this game was literally me just running on walls, climbing vines, and going back to my base after I got some item for my, my, my team. And they said, okay, now, Cal, you need to go back to this other planet and get a different item. And then I came back and then rinse and repeat for like 15 hours. And between that 15 hours, there's really only like one or two of those compelling like moments that I, mm-hmm. I saw in Fallen Order. And if they had sprinkled more of the dark side with Cal, because I already feel like he had been a bit more of a nuanced um, a character development with, within this one because he's seemingly falling in love with Marin, which I really liked their story yeah. together. But I feel like they they had an opportunity to make it more apparent that he was struggling with the idea of falling in love. They kind of like sort of danced around it. I, I think the big message from this was more of the first one was he survived Order 66. He's trying to survive and find his place. And this one, it's more of survivor's guilt. He's not doing enough to like help the people who survived as well. Because mm-hmm. I mean, he's watched all the other Jedi basically die. And he's the only one left. And he's like, if I'm not using this moment to help save or do something new while putting himself at risk, then what is he to live for type thing? Mm -hmm. And it's that struggle um, throughout, which I think is cool. And then him leading the squad and like that turmoil being the cause of why everyone kind of split up. Mm -hmm. They're like, we can't do this constantly. 
um, I think was cool. Yeah, it, it did. And I think that was one of the complaints was basically a slow start. Mm-hmm. And I think it did there. Now that you mentioned it, it, there was a lot of fetch questy stuff to a couple different planets to get holograms or whatever, to understand some backstory of this hidden sanctuary. I like the hidden sanctuary idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's very, uh, what is it? Fessel run castle run esque. Mm-hmm. Um, from the Han Solo movie where you have to go a specific route or you basically get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good setup eventually for the next game. Well, I think that that might just be a little bit of um, like a sophomore outing. It's just kind of struggle with some of that um, in, in, in anticipation of that third and final chapter for this story. I think what's far more interesting to think about is where they go from here um, I feel like there's so many different ways they could do it. They're probably only going to do like a, a one year after, but man, would it be so cool if may, maybe there's kind of this, the, the difficult thing <laughs> about this is that it has to fit into an already existing mold. Yeah. It, you get into the rogue one type thing. Yeah. It's like these characters don't make that much of a splash to the effect that it touches the original trilogy yeah so how do we back up against that and that's why i was really interested in would it be possible for them to do some type of like the first half of the game takes place one to two years after jedi survivor and then for whatever reason they have to flash forward into a time where luke is a jedi master and him and cal can do stuff together there's order 66 and there's my dad (laughs) So this Order 66 happens, and Luke is just born, right, at Order 66. Um, And then that's basically the first... I don't know how far after Order 66, because he's working in that shipyard, right, in the beginning. So so say there's a five-year jump, and then there's another five-year jump to this one. So Luke's about 10. Um, I'm assuming that Bode's daughter has force abilities just runs in the family type thing mm-hmm. um she's young mm-hmm. right so if they were to do you don't need like a 20 year jump or i think maybe 10 years would be cool mm-hmm. um you couldn't the problem is you can't use the same actor if you're going to jump 10 years right you could you just I mean, age him up a bit yeah why not um i really like the actor for um cal yeah like cameron something rather yeah he was in i think shameless or something like that Mm. uh but yeah he he seems like a character very much a star wars fan yeah it'll be interesting i think they have to do something with the sanctuary um kind of the jedi safe haven having the entire plot of the second one to get there to be safe from the emperor Mm -hmm. Um, i don't know if they want to kill off cal when they have a good portion of the franchise that fans like well i think that's the thing right is if you don't kill him off, why does he just, you, you have to explain away him just never showing up in the. You run into an Ezra Bridger. Yeah. Thing. The original he, trilogy. he goes off at, I think the end of rebels into the distance or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's just so boring, which is why I think they're either going to lead up to some kind of sacrificial death. And he somehow plays an important part in the original trilogy that makes sense in the context of the game and the movies that we just never heard about it for that reason. Like same thing with Rogue One, like all those people died to get um that thing to Princess Leia, but you didn't know about those people and, and what they actually did until the Star Killer in Force Unleashed was the re- reason the rebellion was the rebellion or started. Mm-hmm. Right? His symbol was the Star Killer symbol. 
the the symbol for the entire rebellion is the circular symbol, which yeah. is, or I think it's house maybe, but yeah, it kind of fleshing out portions that we didn't really dive into in the original trilogy. Fuck the sequels. We don't need them. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be cool. Yeah. Nothing that completely changes or lessens the original three movies. Yeah. Right? Well, Interesting to talk about, interesting to theorize, you know, maybe deeper into the year and certainly as part of the game of the year discussion, we might return to this and had more. I mean, certainly for me, I'm really fresh off rolling credits. I just beat the game two days ago and I'm coming away from it, not overly enthused. It just, yeah, I loved Fallen Order so much. And there's just for all the reasons I've described at this point, I'm still kind of just like, uh, I don't know about this one. But like I told you, Ryan, I mean. Compared to something like Forspoken, night and day. I mean, this game is is certainly much better. Um, but I was just hoping for a little bit more on the story side of things. And then just kind of the moment-to-moment gameplay. I was looking for more of those uncharted moments. Yeah. You know? Um, but I don't know. Maybe it'll grow on me as the year goes on. But, Ryan, I think it's also about time that we just cap this episode. Because it yep. is hot as Hades in here. Yeah. I'm- it's steamy. <laughs> you smell. I smell. We all smell. We all smell for smell. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, yeah, I think you're right. All right. <laughs> I was gonna, dude, I cannot think of you. Like, I am soaked, and I just, I'm soggy, and it's gross, and it's been a year since we've recorded in heat. Yes, well, thank you, everyone, great. so much for listening. <laughs> if you have any predictions for the Xbox Game Showcase or certainly the Summer Games Fest, please get in the Discord if you're not already there. Drop those thoughts. Drop those comments. Let us know what you thought of this episode, all right? Not a whole lot of people are talking the Discord, but uh, Ryan and I have also not been doing a great job at, um, I guess, starting those conversations. But get in there. Let us know how you're feeling about next week and all of the video game hype that's surrounding it. And Ryan and I will be back in about a week and a half to share our thoughts about everything that was shown in the Xbox Games Bethesda Showcase and Summer Games Fest. Ryan, any parting words for our listeners? Hey, stay cool. Stay, uh, stay sexy. I can't talk. Have a good one. <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Let's go.